The World Cup on off the ball, covering the good, the bad, and well, the ugly of what's happening in Qatar. Neymar can push the ball between your legs because he just sees things. Subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast feed now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. Half past seven on this Friday morning, November 25th on OTBAM, brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Esteemed journalist and broadcaster and Galway man, Johnny Ward, how are you? Good morning. Good morning, Shane. And Kathleen McNamee, Sligo's own Koi Gig Pod presenter as well. Good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you keeping? Uh, the, uh, the back pages are dominated by one, by one photograph, and it's Richarlison's. Mad one last night, Johnny. You were you were trying to um, find a nice quiet spot for for maybe a little pint last night, and, and Brazilian fans were everywhere in Dublin. As it I came out. back, I came back from Turles and uh, was dropped at the Red Cow. So um, when I'm dropped at the Red Cow, I uh, live in Harrow's Cross now, so uh, it's kind of um, it's convenient to get off from Rialto. So I went into the the other hand, which would be a, a bar that uh, kind of is frequented by a lot of locals and a lot of um, I suppose. Uh, non-nationals living in Dublin as well but literally all the seats were taken I was like what is this who's is this playing in the World Cup party or something or like a 40th or a 50th or, or 30th or something but instead it was just Brazil fans so uh, yeah I uh, there was a bit of uh, old man more to me and said I'll, I'll go over to the Bird Flanagan and have a quiet point there but while I was in the Bird Flanagan there was a guy at the bar and he was kind of moaning about the World Cup and he said the mystery is gone but back in the day we didn't we didn't know the players like you know we know them all now but I think last night there was a bit of like Wow, this Brazil team is like seeing a Brazil team for the first time in the nineteen like eighty uh, two World Cup or something like that, and saying, "Oh my God, these guys can play football!" I thought they were amazing. Um, so there was as much as I despised the World Cup in many levels. That was a night where you're kind of like, "Ah, this is like the old days watching Brazil." Wow, you! I think we have we can put it up on screen. Ashling O'Reilly, our own Ashling, was at uh, the Woolshed Pub on Parnell Street last night, and she was. Um Kind of getting some flavour of the atmosphere of the Brazilian fans and the, the national anthem and that sort of thing. So we're going to have a look at that now. Channeling his inner Johnny Ward, putting on a national anthem at the start of the show. There, so. <laughs> that could be I mean, that could be a pub in Sao Paulo or Rio. I mean, that that's brilliant. 
Uh, there are a yeah. lot of Brazilians in Dublin. There are, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Really a, you could say there's a Brazilian of them. Yeah, we'll have that. Sorry. Yeah. How long were you saving that one up, Shane? Yeah, I was waiting for someone to set me up, and thankfully someone did. <laughs> um, ah, look, like the atmosphere. I feel like Brazil. You have the World Cup hasn't really arrived until you get to see the yellow of Brazil coming out and playing, and it was a decent game. It is actually nice to see something like that because I've. I don't know. I haven't really enjoyed this World Cup at all. Mm. I haven't, apart from when I'm in work, I don't really watch any of the games because yeah. I just find it really difficult to. But it's actually nice to properly see people enjoying it and whatever. I, like, I'm very much against all the politics of the whole thing. Of but it is nice to see people who aren't in their own country gathering together, singing their national anthem, having a moment, actually enjoying the football. It's one of the nicer things yeah. I've seen out of this World Cup for I'm a beginning to dream, I think, that they might win it after last mm. night. Um, it's funny, yeah, and like they were just they were they were taking lads off the bench like it was just like oh yeah here's another work conveyor belt. It was just what it was. Um, like we were talking like pre-show. I mean, I was I was saying to JD on Saturday. JD was uh, he he put up with Charleston as one of his top score bets, mm. and I was like that's actually an interesting show. But twenty five um, to one. I uh, I I watched Serbia um, in the flesh in Dublin um, against Ireland. I'm like, this, this is a good side, and I was like, this is going to be a real test. Didn't think I thought Brazil like really had a had a big challenge on. They absolutely like they could barely get a hold of the ball for two seconds. Serbia, they absolutely battered them. I think Serbia's lack of pace was was really problematic because they couldn't do anything on the break. But Brazil were unbelievably like from top to bottom. I thought they were. Unbelievable, really. Class. We I think we had footage of the uh, the reaction to Richardson's goal as well in the pub last night. Like I, I'm like cackling about this World Cup in that like I haven't really enjoyed it and I find the whole thing like it's just so wrong on every level. But can you imagine being an Ireland fan and scoring a goal like that at a World Cup? And I know it's Brazil, but like when you when you step back at a moment, like they're watching their team score one of the best World Cup goals probably ever. Hmm. They're entitled what's, to celebrate. What's our best tournament goal ever? As in the best quality? I don't mean well, it could be Houghton's lob against that, that was a bit of a fluke. With uh, all due respect, it was like. What the the fluke the Houghton one? Yeah, um, like he had a bit of a pop shot and the timekeeper's off his line. Col- Column says Hulhan, uh, Ronnie Whelan. Yeah, Ronnie Whelan's Ronnie Ronnie Whelan. That's fair. That was that was like he mishit as well. He kind of shinned it. That was the best goal. But don't say it, Johnny. Yeah, you're right yeah. though. It probably like and it looked amazing at the time. I mean, Robbie Keane's goal for uh, that's the most impactful one of the most impactful goals. But I guess it's not the best stylistically. But it's yeah, we've had some decent goals in World Cups. Have we? Well, reasonable. Like we've, how many goals we have we had at all? I feel like we just get excited <laughs> at the fact we've scored and then Sorry, yeah. in our memories we're like... Each one of them becomes a Matt Holland, moment. Matt Holland, Matt Holland actually, Colin Bowie has done a lot this morning. He's brought coffee to both of us. He's channeled the inner Johnny Ward National Anthems and he's recalled one of Ireland's most underrated goals. Matt Holland's daisy cutter was technically an absolute dinger of a goal. Yeah, it was. Because it didn't go into the top corner, um, you know, and there was so much Ferrari about Roy Keane... I think that was an amazing goal. We should, yeah. We, we should uh, also say, like, uh, speaking of amazing, Kathleen McNamee's an amazing person. And, it's uh, her birthday today. It is her birthday today. Thank you very much, Kathleen guys. McNamee, happy That's the nicest birthday. thing I think anyone has ever said. music as well, yes. And a Friday Now we'll birthday. stand for the national anthem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stand what are we doing? Uh, I feel like a Friday birthday is... Oh, yeah. Okay. You know when you look yeah, at like nice. 12 months ahead of your birthday, and you're like, what day is my birthday going to be on next year? Mm. So you're eyeing up the Friday one, you're like, yeah, that's going to be... 
No, it is. It's actually been really nice because I remember like this time last year I was in London by myself, very, very lonely, kind of Aww. wandering around the city, nothing to do, no one to see. And last night I went to a gig with some of my best friends. Sigrid? Sigrid. It was so very good with Jen and Will, two of my best friends. And then I meet my boyfriend Brian later, who has been very, very good to me this And week. Brian, by the way, there is an implication that, I mean, Brian could be doing anything for me, as in the pressure's on. Like, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. saying, I, I had a pre-arranged kind of thing that I wanted to sort of catch. I don't know what I'm doing today. My boyfriend could be doing anything. All bets are off. Well, that's pressure. So pressure yeah. is on. Yeah. If you're listening, Brian, all bets are off. Nope. <laughs> yeah, Sigrid, by the way, big fan of Sigrid. She um, was so good live. Don't feel like crying. So good. Sucker punch. Yeah. Some great tunes. It's just such fun. a good bop. And like she was so delighted. You know when you're watching someone, it's a bit like when you're watching someone play football and they're just loving life yeah. and they're so happy. That was her on stage and you just couldn't help but like get in that mood. Yeah. And the crowd was really nice. Like, you know, there's no pushing and shoving. There was like plenty of space. Oh, it was a very, very good night. I sound like such an old person as well, being like, there was lots of space. Yeah, it was very yeah, yeah. nice. I breathed, you know, I could sit down every now and again. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, no, that's class. Happy birthday to Kathleen, of course, from everyone at Off the Ball. Thank um, you very much, guys. The, Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't know how you felt about the Portugal game, but uh, we're all hoping for upsets now at this World Cup because it's become the World Cup of upsets because Saudi Arabia and, and Japan and all these results that are happening. But. Um, Fortunately, Ghana couldn't. It wouldn't be a massive upset if Ghana had beaten Portugal, of course. But Ronaldo again stealing all the headlines, um, as he tends to do. But five World Cups that he scored at—that's not a bad record. Yeah, yeah, that's that is incredible. Like I, I was kind of I was on. Marsha prob- did it first. Yeah, uh, fair. fair. Probably hoping he didn't. Uh, he didn't score at this one because I just think he's made a bit of a show of himself going into it. But um, I don't know the penalty decision for me. I was like, well. How do you make? How do you make that call? Like, and Ronaldo celebrate like celebrating a penalty as if you know. I know he's broken records, but it, it does seem to be still all about me. Like someone's commented, Ronaldo still dived. Uh, he, he did. He, he did. did. He it did. was. Yeah, it was. It was simulation, really. Like, and it was. It was. It was. I thought it was like unsportsmanship it because was per wasn't it? It was because it's like you're in a World Cup. Get up! Like, and we're kind of in an era now where players are tackling more, and there's not as much like I think play acting because they've changed the rules a little bit, and it's gotten almost a little bit more physical. But that's just. Diving really. The referee was only, and this was pointed out on Twitter, only too keen to give the penalty. Mm. It was like the, he straight as, as Ronaldo was falling, almost he had the whistle in the mouth. On a var, it's not a penalty at all. Yeah. Like in my view, I mean, no. it's it's a at best a fifty fifty call. But then don't give us. It. it was just ridiculous. Um, yeah, it was, I I didn't derive much enjoyment out of that. No, no, but and it was the the last minute when. Um, the Ghana uh, forward and Aki Williams he's standing behind mm. the, the, the <laughs> Portuguese keeper Diogo Costa and you're thinking because I saw, I saw him standing behind him mm. and then the camera cut away and I was like Why oh, he's obviously going to see him there yeah. and then it just cuts back yeah. to this moment of panic yeah. when he's slipping and out, you're like holy Jesus nobody saw him Shea Given was on the, the RT coverage I enjoyed it as well and literally came straight back to Shea and he was like well I'm the worst person to talk to this about because Dion Dublin did it to me mm. famously and he was like famously he was the only person he was the only Irish person who didn't know where Dublin was <laughs> that was a decent line um, but like it, it was just one of those moments it's probably there's like the Ghana jersey was white and there was probably white fans or placards or something in the background that, that yeah. you know and the, it, the, these things happen you know yeah <laughs> but it could have been such a historic famous goal mm. you know three all draw Ghana last gasp and uh, now the Followed slip by Richarlison the slip just ruined it unfortunately but yeah it was good as football when you said you had reaction to the goal earlier I fully thought it was going to be John Duggan just in his living room after having said that Brazil are going to win it loving the fact it was Richarlison scoring yeah I had had a bet against Brazil last night but the the thing is when you you take such a beating like that you're like fair enough I got it wrong but I was straight over to JD you have real hope here Richarlison the man is on fire and Brazil are clearly they look 
well, they're not. Over, I don't know if you say overwhelming favourites. They look really strong. Yeah, the brother backed uh, before the tournament. Brazil to win. Charleston top goal scorer double hundred to one. Is there anything the Hammonds can do? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rains to be seen. Uh, whether that will come up, but uh, yeah. It's uh, a yeah. hundred to one. Hundred to one. I mean, Richardson looks good. I was slagging John Tottenham Hotspur fan, of course, in the office this morning, saying he might even join a big Premier League club after this World Cup. I did get a massive them. laugh out of that when I heard <laughs> you say it earlier. <laughs> the pace of Brazilians' play was like Serbia just looked. They looked like they were ten years older than first they? half. First half was quite touchy, and Brazil. But even then, there. they were totally dominant. Yeah. they were. And I was like, I thought, well, maybe Serbia will go into the game. Mm. They actually just turned it on in the second half, and the pace of their movement in attack, I thought, was like. I haven't seen that at the World Cup. Like France looks, France are quite good, and yeah. they have like amazing attacking Spain. players. So I, I missed the Spain game, unfortunately. And I know it's, really cost, it's Costa Rica, but they were superb. Mm. Yeah, um, but the speed of Brazilians' movement, and they didn't look like conceding at all, really. Um, no. Like obviously you're playing Thiago, so you're like you're going to give up a chance for maybe somebody with a pay, bit of pace. But um, it must have been one of the best like group stage like domination. Serbia are a good side, like yep. they're a good side, and they could have beaten them five nil. Yeah, 100%. really, real, sa- real saving of intent, and they look like they're together as well when they're coming off. And as you say, the conveyor belt of players coming on. Yeah, that group will be interesting because they'd all you'd imagine beat is Cameroon in that group. Am I right in saying? But Serbia and Switzerland will yeah. be the last so, yeah. last game. Serbia and Switzerland essentially, which will be. That'll be amazing because mm. that that'll be a shootout. Switzerland, yeah. like, Switzerland got to the last sixteen of the last. I feel like that's the sort of game though that you'll build up and be like that'll be amazing. It'll yeah. be like a nil all draw or no. something, and it'll be really touchy, and it'll be a terrible game of football to watch. Yeah. the goalie will be done in the last minute by a fella behind him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone will scrape through on goal difference or something. A couple of comments coming in on the YouTube channel as well. But Bob Dwyer, our resident Spurs fan. Um, Apart from John Duggan, of course. Uh, tuning in now, so I may have missed you fawning over Richarlison's goal. We have done a little bit of fawning over the goal. Best part of it was all the Arsenal fans on Twitter. Richarlison has done nothing. Jesus should be starting. Strange fan base. Spurs fans getting the dig into Arsenal straight away. You forget you that You're not just that. enjoying the moment, like. <laughs> oh, Kathleen, the Arsenal fan, speaking up, she's been. Well, like, her. I didn't even say anything. Yeah, I, I have know. said nothing. <laughs> all I said was I enjoyed your joke. Yeah. I didn't mention it once. It's a decent joke. It's not bad. Uh, Shifty Lad says the first 30 minutes was a tough game they earned the way to, they earned the way to play didn't get bullied at all very good Brazilian team uh, someone else making the point Jesus has one goal in his last 19 for Brazil that's why he's not starting wow. like Richarlison's record for Brazil mm. I understand what Chicha puts him in the team because he's a different player he is it's, it's, that's not really the Richarlison we see in the Premier League no we've seen glimpses of it yeah we haven't seen that Richardson. they did look really together didn't they like you, you throw international teams together and a lot of the time they're not like that in tune with each other either mentally or physically um, and in terms of like you know just little patterns of play they look like they're they look like they were out in a camp together they really yeah. look like they knew what they were doing that's the thing about the, and I, like just the camaraderie when they're on the team bus they're dancing and stuff mm. and they're like they're kind of playing I wouldn't see the video that. of them getting off the team yeah. bus and they had like Neymar had a big drum and everything and they all like danced their way in yeah it's cringe but it's also like Kevin Kilban of course shares the hotel with him doesn't he he does yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Kevin rubbing shoulders with the greats um, so <laughs> just imagine him like coming in at the back with another drum <laughs> just being like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry I said Kevin rubbing shoulders with the greats but I mean the Brazilian team were getting to rub shoulders with Kevin, Kevin Kilban which, which is for by all accounts the, the better story uh, there's a couple of decent stories actually in the World Cup on the back pages of um, the papers this morning so this is an interesting one on the back page of the Guardian Jacob Steinberg has a story armband blackmailed by FIFA um, England, Wales and five other European nations fear their captains will be exposed to quote unlimited liability and would have faced suspensions if they had defied FIFA's banning of the pro-diversity one love armband during the World Cup so of course there's been all this criticism over the not wearing of the, the one love armband um, and the story in the paper essentially saying that they felt that the punishment was going to be more than the yellow card I just have I mean, such a big eye roll about this whole yeah, thing yeah 100% like 
you're protesting something, you know you're going to get some sort of repercussion, whether it's a yellow card. And like even the way they're talking about it, the, like, when they were talking about the yellow card, they were saying, you know, I can't do that to my teammates. I can't, you know, put them in that position. And you're like, but you're doing it to like your fellow country people. Anyways, like you're not standing up for them. You're not supporting them. Take the punishment. It would be... It, it's one thing, say, like if FIFA had actually given them a red card or if FIFA had chucked them out of the tournament or whatever it is that they're actually afraid FIFA were going to do, mm. that would have turned this into a massive like global scandal. Yeah, and it, like they just they wouldn't have been able to get away with it. So I, I understand that they might have had their fears, but I just do not get this like sort of trickle of information coming out now saying like, oh, well, we feared some unknown bigger repercussion. Mm. There's, there's other stories even this morning talking about FIFA being accused of ignoring the One Love Nations referees. So those nations I, I uh, mentioned that are particularly um, vocal about the, 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 the armband, England, Wales, Netherlands, Germany, Belgium, Denmark, no referees from those countries have refed a game yet. Now, coincidence? I don't know, but it's so pathetic. Like it's mad. I mean, If you bring a country to a conservative Muslim state, um, if you bring a World Cup rather to a conservative Muslim state, obviously, you know, it's not going to be straightforward. But FIFA is making itself an absolute joke out of this tournament. Like, an yeah. absolute joke. 100%. completely agree with Kathleen. And, I mean, I, I don't know. If I were a player, I'd find it very hard to bow to this nonsense. Like, And it's, it's not me saying this. The way we do things in the West is the best way to go about things. Yeah. We're far from perfect. But mm. this is this is pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. Um, and... There are so many problems with this World Cup. Like my biggest one is, where is the legacy out of this? Like, yeah. where, what, what, some of these stadia are being ripped up. Like, what yeah. is the point of this? Like, bring a World Cup to the Middle East, absolutely. Bring it to a country with three hundred and fifty thousand locals and a load of expats. Um, what is the point of this? And now, with every, this is my, I'm with Kathleen on this. I can't really enjoy it because every few minutes of enjoying the game, I start thinking about the crap that's behind it. Yeah, and look at you know anyway. I was mad, yeah, because even last night I was, I was looking, was it the Brazil game or one of the games was at Stadium 974? Uh, the shipping container one. The, one. Yeah, like, and I, I, I totally, this story had skipped me by that it's mm. made out of 974 shipping containers, which I thought, mm. oh, that's, that's a nice idea, recyclable, nice, uh, I yeah. guess, eco-friendly stadium. But then it's being ripped apart the second the tournament ends. So like, But they're they're taking it apart and then they're going to build it somewhere else. Okay, mm-hmm. So right. this is the thing, that they are able to take it apart and put it wherever they want. At least for, that's relatively eco-friendly. Yeah. It, it was costing like more than every World Cup put together, like two hundred and twelve billion or something. Which is mad for what? Yeah. This is essentially oil money, like yeah. So the, like the, the the irony of the climate crisis and oil money funding this stupid World Cup with all these other issues shouldn't be lost on anyone. Yeah. And it's that's why it's hard to enjoy it. Where yeah. you're looking at the destruction of the planet and this horrible sort of um, FIFA organization that went over to this country for. We all know why, mm. um, and that's why it's it's hard to enjoy. It. And if Ireland were there, you do wonder. I know how much can you enjoy it? I don't know. We, 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 see, you'd enjoy it when it's on, and like, like we all are, we're watching the games, we're getting sucked into it. But then there's there's going to be the feeling before the tournament, after the tournament, and all, when the, all these stories come up, where you're like, this doesn't feel. It good. should also as well. Like Infantino's obviously going. I think it's his third term unopposed for election, but like mm. countries still need to vote on him. Mm. And I think it's Denmark has said that they're not going to vote for him. So I don't know if they're abstaining or whatever it is. But the FAI released a statement. I think it was to the Independent yesterday, saying that they're going to think about it and they're not going to say anything now. But like it will be brought up about what they should do. So and I I, I don't know how much 
abstaining from a vote actually does at the mm. end of the day. Like, I think you need to do a little bit more. But it's just an interesting one to probably, like, keep on people's radars because yeah. I think the pressure should be put there for the FAI to do something. I know we're not at this World Cup, but we're still in FIFA tournaments. In we're still competing. Family. Yeah. Mm. You know, like, what what can we do? It might be very small, but what can we do now to actually impact on future World mm. Cups, future tournaments, whatever it might be? Because Infantinos, never mind all the stuff about Qatar anyways and like the awarding of it even just the comments he made at the very start of this tournament everything that's happened since some of the people he has been rubbing shoulders with Mohammed bin Salman yeah it, it's it's mad because anytime uh, anytime you say anything negative about the World Cup there's obviously going to be people who will say oh you're virtue signaling you're woke all the rest but I mean if you if people some people have fingers in the ears on the on the, on the, the negative stories around the World Cup I'm enjoying the World Cup I'm watching it but doesn't mean that I don't have a deep uh, negative feeling about it in the, in the bottom of my heart and I don't feel like it's no, no, no everyone knows it's not the right it's not the right thing it shouldn't be at the it shouldn't be in Qatar Karis mm. Kuras is in the back page of the garden yeah. he's, it's quite interesting what he says because I, I, I have sympathy for him in the sense that um, he's getting asked all these questions constantly he has he a relationship with Iran um, like I've been to Iran it's an amazing country amazing people most of them are quite young and struggling to kind of um exist in a regime that is basically a regime that they probably don't want at this stage but Carlos Kiros it's it's not quite like Eddie Howe being the Saudi manager Carlos Kiros is manager of Iran and if if you're not going if you're going to engage in what about you you're not going to take any job and he's making the point that well you're calling me out on this like what about would Gareth Southgate be called out on the invasion of Afghanistan yeah. he's absolutely right on that it's like <laughs> if you you can engage none of none of these countries is perfect from Britain to Saudi Arabia um but at the same time it, it is a bit of a sideshow there's, there's something in the background all the time and the the Iranian, you know, we covered this the other night in the show with Joe, but the, the Iranian protest I thought was fascinating because I was full of admiration for the Iranian players at the time. Yeah, And it just made England look even more stupid. It? Yeah, yeah, it did. But then it's kind of like, there's also a view, well, actually Iran, the Iranian players haven't gone far enough here. They just didn't sing the national anthem. So there's a lot going on. And the, to me, that, 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 that Iranian sideshow is one of the fascinating aspects of it as well because that's a country in utter turmoil at the moment. But that's like the thing with the England story today, that they feared whatever, that mm. unlimited liability. Like what the Iranians did, they genuinely have a fear. And like for their families that are back home, whatever it is, they, they could have faced proper persecution for what they did. And we can say it didn't go far enough and maybe it didn't. But even that small act meant they were putting themselves and the people they loved in so much trouble England didn't wear an armband and they might have got a yellow card or they might have got a suspension, whatever it was. And it, it probably would have ended up being the bigger story if that actually happened, which is ridiculous in and of itself because yeah. what is happening in Iran at the moment is awful and there are so many people, especially so many women, who are being put in such a horrendous place. And that that's the thing that frustrates me so much about this whole, should they wear their armband? Should they not wear their armband? We just want to concentrate on the football. You're like, for one second... Just take yourself out of that. You can still concentrate on the football mm. and you can still like play an incredible game and you can also make people in your country and you're looking at probably like a large part of the population. You can make them actually feel seen, heard and next year when you turn up wearing your rainbow laces or I don't know, like you know the way they always turn different stadiums um, rainbow coloured around Pride time, you can actually stand back and be like no 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 I actually did something to do this because when yeah. when all those campaigns come around next year in the Premier League what are they going to do are they going to like is Harry Kane going to turn up with his rainbow laces is he going to wear an armband then 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> like no the, the hypocrisy then. of it is just astounding to me. Like it. Ugh. When, Sorry, when I was in Iran, I, I, I met a couple of uh, people that I'm friendly with ever since, just randomly, and one of them was texting me before the game, and he's like, what is your prediction to, for the Wales game? And I was like, oh, Iran didn't look like they were overly bothered against England to me. Maybe I'm wrong, and he took this the wrong way. He said, I think they want to win. Clearly, intentional loss has grave consequences for them. Mm. That's the country they live in. It's yeah, like, which is mad. That's where you're at. Like, Now, I'm, I wasn't implying that they were intentionally losing, but to me, it didn't look like they're... Hearts were like a good Iranian team would at least they wouldn't concede six goals against England. They Carlos mm. Car- Curros would manage them well. I know they had the goalkeeper situation, but that 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 game against Wales is going to be interesting because yep. I'm sure I don't know what Iranian TV is showing at home in terms of them not singing the anthem or whatever. But yeah, hundred percent. It's mad just all the the, the off pitch stories just keep keep racking up as the, the World Cup goes on. Uh, before we get to Kevin Gaban who's, who's standing by in Qatar, uh, we should touch on Arsenal Juventus last night in the Champions League. Kathleen, we'll all draw at the Allianz Stadium. Um, Arsenal still in the driving seat though for the Champions League quarterfinal top spot yeah like I think last night was a weird game in that Arsenal are losing so many players to injuries at the moment like obviously it was now Beth Mead during the week has done her ACL which probably puts her out of the World Cup next year which is quite sad for her considering how much success she's had Leo Wilmson Raffaele like there's I think they had something like seven players on the bench compared to Juventus' 12 and two of those were goalies and the other five were not like big name players so Arsenal will be happy enough with a 1-1 result but probably would have liked to have scored and could have scored more I think it's just been one of those weeks where mentally it's been a tough ride for them um, Medina scored her first goal since September she's just back after taking a break because she took a break from country and club just because she burned out that's what they were worried about um, and there's still the ongoing battle whether it should be her or Manum in that number nine position. I think last night showed that she is still one of Arsenal's top players. Uh, can't expect her to really stay out the season, but I think they'll be happy enough considering everything that's going on in the background with a one-run result, but probably should have scored one or two more. Yeah, Katie McCabe playing left-back as well, moved to the right wing, I think, at one point. Yeah, game. she moves around a lot with Arsenal. and yeah. like A lot of the time it's to do with injuries. Um, I think... Like, whenever she plays for Arsenal, I know we always talk about wanting her to play higher up in the Ireland squad. There just isn't that need for her in that position at Arsenal. So she does move around, like, left or, left or right wing back. Um, that that right wing back, left footed thing is interesting. The <coughs> Rovers have done that a lot. Shamrock Rovers in the men's game. And um, I, I find it a bit counterintuitive because... It, it's almost certain that you're going to come in on your left then if you're on the right as mm. in like and and can you defend as well on in a right wing back position if you're if you're extremely left footed I, I I find it it's been an evolution that has kind of I don't baffled me a little bit and Andy Lyons has gotten a move away on the base of playing left wing back which I wouldn't have seen and then they would play Ferruja right wing back who's very left footed yeah. and it, cause it, it's almost like if you come in field you're going yeah. to do more danger than going into crossing positions which probably if you put up the stats you probably are but it just throws out everything I thought I knew about football yeah. play somebody who's extremely left footed right wing back yeah well I think what Katie and Arsenal it's always been a case of like where do they actually need a player of her calibre more mm. than her skill and like the thing is during a match if it's her and Beth Mead on either side they can swap quite a lot yeah. depending on like what's needed so I don't know if I don't think they've necessarily always played her to her best position or her best skills at Arsenal She, they just know that she is the sort of player that she can fill that hole and she will do it very very well 
lot to be said for, for versatility. We uh, we got to go to Kevin Caban, who is uh, coming in uh, live. A segue there. Nice no. segue, yeah. Imagine him, versatility. Right, imagine him playing right back. Versatile Kevin Caban. Kev, good morning. Good morning, good morning, Shane. You're right, Johnny. I, you know, I... I, I, I analysed the uh, the France goal, the Australian goal that France conceded the other night. And um, it's interesting when you're seeing, you know, I, I mean, I would have had it when I would have probably played on the right-hand side. I played on the right wing a little bit in, in my time. But it's always funny when you're opening your body the other way around on your shoulder. It, it, it's so alien to lads when they go on the opposite side of the field. And as I said, I was doing Pavard's goal. And Pavard sees... He sees his, his guy, the guy that scored for Australia on his outside initially, and then he gets attracted to the runner inside and doesn't once open his shoulder out as the move goes on. It was a great goal by Australia. That was a lovely goal, yeah. That's the sort of thing that you look at, little basic things like that that happen in football, but it's the, the, you know, the little minute detail, I think, at times that catches teams out. You were Mr. Versatile, Kev, weren't you? Like you, you both footed to an extent. In midfield for a while. Yeah, yeah, both, both flanks. Yeah, you know, I know, yeah. I, I, I actually played up front for Ireland once as well. Did you? No, um yeah, the only position I didn't play for Ireland was right back, I think. I think it was right back was the only position I didn't play for Ireland, yeah. He didn't played do goals either. Who played and goals, of course. Well, Who played job front? You would know that. Uh, Stan. Played up front under Stan. I came, I actually, well, I didn't start the game up front, but I went maybe the last uh, 30 minutes in a couple of games for Stan, yeah. This is like Harry Maguire being thrown up front for United last minute. Although Kev, yeah, Kev so, something like that. Goals. There was no quality. There was no quality. Like Jerry Maguire being thrown up front. <laughs> hell. Um, yeah, I, funny enough, I can't remember that. But maybe the Stan era was. Yeah, how did you get on? Uh, I don't know. We, we we didn't have a great time, did we? Understand? Um, I think we're chasing the game. I, it could have actually been San Marino. We did it in San Marino when Stephen Island scored late on. I think I was up front that game. Um, uh, there was another game I think as well yeah I don't know I do you know what Johnny I don't know I honestly God I don't um, Kev I know you've you've kind of spoken about the USA before and, and maybe where they're at or where they're not at to an extent mm. um, England game this evening which is a, a big one in Group B uh, I'll scrape some great photos in, in the paper some some nostalgic memories Rob Green's uh, howler against uh, the USA to allow them to equalise in 2010 World Cup mm. like the USA will fancy a a bit of a shock here, but I mean the way England performed in the first game, it's it's hard to see it. It's hard to see it happening, is it? I, I think I think England win all day long. I mean, prior to um, who was it the the Wales game, Greg Berhalter, the US coach, said that in this tournament, on our day, we can beat any side in the world. I think what he failed to mention was is the rest of the teams need to have a really bad day if the US are going to go and beat them. They're not great at all. There's the alarm. Kev's alarm. Wake up. Get up for off the ball. Get up for off the ball. Kev, wake up. I know. I know. That was the last one. That's my second alarm. That's the second call. That is the most most annoying. I know. I was just thinking this morning because I was waiting to get up. What is my alarm call Let me get it. Let me get it. Go on, Kev. I'm going to be really annoyed by this alarm. But what is it anyway? It's just like parents. That particular alarm has to be the most annoying of them all. It's my alarm too, but I hear it. I hear it, but it gets me up. It gets it wakes me up like. And and my missus, she does that know, like staggered, know, like that uh, snooze, one, yeah. snooze, snooze. It goes off about ten times before I'm even thinking about getting up. I say, oh, what a start to the day. <laughs> Kev's, um, more, Kev's more than awake. He's got his Beatles T-shirt on and the whole lot as well. He's he's flying this morning. He doesn't, he doesn't need the alarm. And you're three hours ahead, Kev. Is it not, is it not eleven a.m. there? <laughs> is it three hours? No, ahead? I know, but I'm still on. I'm still I'm still on Eastern time. It's still yeah, like it's, what four in the morning or something like that. Three in the morning. So this is where I I've, I've struggled with the times. I really have. I'm, I'm all over the place. Yesterday, I was I was due to to leave the hotel here at, at twelve thirty, and I only got to sleep about five o'clock after the night after the Canada game. We got back in quite late. It was maybe three o'clock, two three o'clock. We got back in, 
And then I was up till five, fell asleep. I got up about 12.30, missed the, missed the bus that I had to get. And then I was like scratching around trying to catch an Uber. So I, I'm all over the place time-wise. Sounds like nothing has changed since you left Ireland anyway. Don't give anything away, Johnny. Come on. Yeah. Um, sounds like... I mean, Southgate to the back pages today, Kev, warning of, of arrogance and making sure the players don't get complacent ahead of the USA game. Of course, he's going to say that. Mm. Sounds like he's going to go with the same starting team from the Iran game as well. Like, are there any weaknesses that, yeah. that the USA can target? Not really. Um, I think when you look at it, you probably have to say at the back, the US have a bit of pace. Pulisic up front's got a bit of pace. Doesn't do enough, in, in my opinion, when he gets into the final third. I don't think they've got enough up front really the US to hurt um, to hurt England. They don't create enough chances. As I said, there's a lot of energy. Tyler Adams and Musa were really good in the, in the first games. I think everyone would know Adams at this stage. They're, they've got energy. They, they, they play with energy in midfield especially, but I just don't think they've got enough up front. I probably expect Aronson to come in today. Uh, Gio Reyna from, from Dortmund was, um, I think Berhalter said he had a slight knock in that first game, so I expect him probably to be involved at some stage. Uh, and they could cause England problems at the back. But in, in saying that, I just think England going forward, Walker Zimmerman and Tim Ream at the back, they will not be able to stop Harry Kane. They'll have they'll have so much trouble. Saka's just been outstanding, not just this season, but the last maybe 18 months now, Saka's been 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 terrific. I, I can't believe he's not starting uh, forward, and that was a big surprise for me. I think he's England's best player. But Southgate had that at the Euros, didn't he? Where he, I, I felt as though that he was approaching games with a little bit more of a, of a conservative approach and didn't necessarily want to fit his best players in. He, try, he was trying to get a formula that suited. And you can't argue with that really after the Iran game. I heard you guys just talking there. I think there was a, a, you know, other circumstances that affected those Iran players. I don't expect them to be as bad in these next two games. But um, I do think Wales will beat them actually today. But um, in saying that, I just think England England have got too much for the US. They should. I, I think they'll probably score two or three today. They may concede again, but I just can't see. Um, I can't see anything but England getting nine points in this group. I, I thought. I thought Iran were so bad. I thought it was hard to judge England. I, yeah. Apart from the fact, Kev, I thought they looked very vulnerable. England in terms of just like. Um, when there was a breakdown in play, Declan Rice, I didn't think, had a great game. I thought defensively they didn't look great at all. In a game, in fairness, they were kind of always winning anyway. But for uh, me... Johnny, Maguire was outstanding. Maguire was brilliant. He, he, yeah. I, I mean, for given the pressure he's under as mm. well and in that first game, and I know it was Iran, granted, but I think he's going to grow from that a little bit as well. Possibly. I think today will tell us a lot more because like, the US first half against Wales were very good and I think this will tell us a lot more about England. I, you were almost half talking England up as potential winners in the Irish Times. I can't have it at all. I think they're... I think they're way off. No, and I, I, well, no, I think I, I, well, I, if you're asking me before the tournament, I'm saying absolutely no chance. I can't see it. Watching Brazil last night, I think you and I both share the same opinion on Serbia, Johnny. I, Serbia could easily go and get six points from these next two games. Brazil's tempo they played at. If you watch Saudi Arabia against um, Argentina, it wasn't great football, but it was just the tempo they played at. Argentina couldn't deal with it. If you watch Tunisia in, in their game against Denmark, the tempo, it's almost the tone's been set for the tournament that... The tournament hasn't really been great yet. I, I'd probably agree with that. But the tempo that the, the maybe the, one or two of the lesser teams are setting against the, the bigger nations is what is something they can't compete with. So I think Brazil will take some stopping, Johnny. I, I, I don't think England will win it. I don't. I think they're going to fall down. I think defensively, I think they're going to struggle maybe against one or two of the better, uh, better teams. I think France up front, let's just see where Mbappe goes and, and things like that. But... They've got issues, haven't they? Defensively, again, France, another injury to them. I just think it, I think that might come back to bite uh, France. And it, 
it just leads back to Brazil to me every single time, whichever way I turn. I, I can't see Brazil with the strength of squad they have, with the 26 players that they have. I just think Brazil will win it. I just can't see it, anything else. How important, Kev, is, is, is a harmonious group? Because I'm looking at the Brazil team last night coming off the bus and you know they're all singing and dancing and they seem there's a real sense of togetherness. Same with England. You're looking at the back pages and seeing them all laughing and joking together and training. Look, it's a photograph, mm. you can't really tell. But there seems to be that vibe from this English camp. Saw a great story even before the World Cup from uh, on the 2018 French win You know, during the tournament. Adil Rami, the, you know, some of the teammates in the hotel waking him up and he came out with the fire extinguisher and the next morning yeah. Deschamps said, I'm not going to say anything, I'm just going to laugh it off because there's a togetherness with this team. We need to keep it that way. Like, How, how important is that, um, Kev, at a tournament especially, to have that harmony? I suppose 2002 is, is an example of, of when it maybe goes the other way. Yeah. But, I mean, it's an important thing. If you want to win the tournament, you have to have a, a together group. Yeah, I think I think it's very important. I think you've seen it with other nations where we've had some of the top teams in past World Cups and Euros when they've turned up for a tournament and you can see there's been there's been friction within that camp and, and they've, they've fallen down, maybe, maybe even not even getting out of the group at times. So, yeah, I do think that. It's a bit different, isn't it, this one, that they've only got that week anyway. They've not had the, mm. the, the three or four weeks preparation, which it can become a bit stale within the camp, no matter no matter what anybody says. It, you're away from home, you're away from your family, and you're away from, from the things that you've become comfortable with. It, it, it can throw people off. Some, some players don't like that. I've come across lots of players that, that were like that, that just didn't necessarily like being away from home. So... I think that week, I think, is going to help a lot of sides, the, the six days or, what it, or whatever it was, just to prepare for the tournament. I know M- Martinez has, has said recently, you know, after they played against Canada the other night, just saying that we had no time to prepare. You know, it's thrown us. But if you're looking at it mentally from the players, I think it will help them as the tournament progresses that they're not going to be away for seven or eight weeks. It'll only be a maximum of perhaps four or, or five going into, if, if they get to a final like Brazil or whoever. So... Yeah, I do think that um, that togetherness definitely does help. And the best teams over the years and in World Cups and everything, I think you probably generally find that they do have a lot of players within that squad that are all probably friends, I would say, friends for life almost. And that, that's the stories that seem to come out afterwards when, when teams win and do well in tournaments. Wasn't that the thing about Brazil, Kev, though? They looked like they'd been in, they looked like they'd been in camp together. They, they looked like they knew oh, exactly God. what their teammates were doing. Even the subs were like, when they came on, it was like interplay. And I, 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 I fell for the Serb defenders with 10 minutes ago, where it's yeah. like, this isn't over. They were, they were they dead, were Johnny, weren't they? They were dead. They, they couldn't run. They, you could see the Serbian players. They were absolutely gone. And there's a couple of players from Serbia that I was actually surprised didn't start the game last night. I, I was watching. I, we've all seen a lot of Serbia. And I was. I looked at the team that was play, uh, put out. And I was. Um, I can't remember the, the, the left wing back now that didn't start. The 17. Uh, you might have that in front of you there. I can't remember his name off the top of my head now. But there was, a, oh. there was two or three players. And I was looking at it. And. Um, I was just thinking, why why hasn't he started some of these? But anyway, regard. I think he spoke of fitness issues around one or two players anyway coming into it. But Brazil, as I said, the tempo that they played with, and it could have been five. And Serbia are a top side, by the way. They're a really, really good good team. I think that the, as, I mean, I, I tipped them to get out of this group. I, I still think they will get out. I, it's going to come down to that last game against Switzerland. And if anyone remembers 2014, Shakiri and, and, and Xhaka with the tension that was going on around that mm. game against the Serbs. So, That'll come up again if, if there's something riding on that last game. It should be a great game if it comes down to that one. Um, but overall, I, I, I just I said, what you're saying, Johnny, with Brazil, everyone, like the, the 15, 16 players that all played, un- unbelievable performance, unbelievable, especially the last 20 minutes of that game. Now, 
can they can they maintain that that level of just intensity for the for the performance? That's what I'd look at. But Jesus, what a what a team they look! They look so good. And I, they, again, if England play against that, or even France, Spain, even I just don't think they're going to be able to compete with that real pace that they play at. Dusan Vla- was Vlahovic, Kev that that. Uh, didn't start maybe for Serbia. No, not Vlahovic. No, not, not Vla- Vlahovic was one. I'm surprised he didn't start Vlahovic. It was the left wing back. Uh, I'm ah, oh, jeez, uh, seventeen, number seventeen on the squad. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Who else came on? Uh, Maksimovic came on. Lazovic came on. Radonjic, no, Ilic, no. Ivan Ilic. We'll we'll go around this all day. No, yeah, he, we didn't, will. he didn't come on. He, he didn't. He didn't come on. Okay, just to, just to mark people's cards on uh, the games today. So ten a.m. is Wales, Iran at one o'clock. It's Qatar, Senegal in Group A. Four o'clock, Netherlands, Ecuador, and then the England USA game is at seven. Like that that Wales game as well. And uh, I mean, Gareth Bale, big game for him. He become um, most capped Welsh player of all time. He's overtaken Chris Gunter. I think it's mm. one hundred nine caps now for for Bale. And uh, the great story in the in, in the page of the papers this morning. Bale urges schools let pupils watch. So there's this, uh, uh, I guess, um, effort to get all of the schools in. In there's more than more than a thousand schools in Wales have already signed up, expected to take part in Kimberley Football Friday. So they're gonna, I guess, it, back in our day, it was wheel out the TV. I don't know what the modern equivalent oh, yeah. is, but yeah. uh, like, do you remember that as as a kid, Kev? Like, what was your first? What was your first World Cup watching moment? Like, I, I think '98 was probably the one where I properly got into it but do you remember the yeah. first time you, you watched the World Cup and thought yeah this is for me I'm a bit older than you Shane of course <laughs> no I, I remember 86 really well I, I really remember 86 um, Maradona and everything that went with it I, I fell in love with the game after Maradona um, it was it was one of those things it was different times I, Italian 90 means so much to me because I remember getting in from school at, at 2 in the afternoon 3 in the afternoon whatever it was you were racing home from school to watch one of the afternoon games it was, they were special memories from an Irish perspective, in, in my in my mind, but '86 was was great. I remember watching, you know, Kareka, Josimar at that World Cup, and watching Joel Bats in in goal for France. Um, I always remember, I always remember Rats who was playing for for Russia. Then in one game, it was Rats against Bats in goal. Little memories that come back to you in your head <laughs> from when you were a kid. Um, so '86 and, and Maradona and everything that Maradona did at that World Cup, I I, I fell in love with football. I, I did and. All I wanted to do after that was 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 playing a World Cup. I, I, that that was pretty much it from from my own point of view. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin like this. Uh, my cousins in Coventry, they had like um, it would have been my father's first cousin, and they all immigrated like Kev's dad did, and you know they went over to Coventry and had kids, and their kids were a little bit older than us. So when their jerseys were a little bit too big, they'd they'd flog them back to us um, second hand, and we were delighted to get them kind of working class family in East Galway. And I was given this crude O'Neill's Argentina jersey with Maradona on the back, oh. and I didn't know the difference. Oh, and I wow. I scored three goals in, in, in that morning. I remember in school, I scored three goals, and I never scored because I felt a million dollars. And that's what Maradona. <laughs> I don't even know what year that was. That was probably around nineteen, around nineteen ninety, give or take. But the, the the whole Maradona thing as a kid, Kev, I, and you were a little bit older than me. Yeah. What he did for football and what he did for little kids to think like this, um, you know, this know. is the game I want to play, I suppose. I know, it, it's true. It, it, it's exactly what he did for me. And it's not, it, of course, I, I mean, I remember, I remember vividly, obviously, the handball goal. I remember the, the run against England and, and that, I mean, I heard you talking about Richarlison being the best goal ever scored in the World Cup, but it's, nothing beats Maradona against <laughs> England. Nothing. Nothing will ever beat that goal. Um, Except the one so, against Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, that's what I was going to say. I was going to come off the back of that. Throughout that World Cup, 
um, if if you watch the Maradona documentary that, that was on a, a, a couple of years ago, and you see the, the 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 level of performance he was putting in in every single game, three men marking him, and, and the kicking, that's got when you could really, really when you kick him, you could yeah. kick the shy out of him. It was unbelievable, honest to God, the, the what he suffered in in every single game. And that was every game for his club when he went when he first moved to Barcelona when he was in Italy. You can only imagine what he faced in Italy. Just what a player, what a player, and he changed it. He changed the landscape for so many of us in, in watching football. I think he changed football in many respects because we had this player doing what he was doing every single game, and all of a sudden, then TV then boomed off the back of it, didn't he? And I think that's when everyone was then glued through the 90s, as we all know, watching Italian 90, that's when it became a lot more uh, relevant for us as Irishmen. But that's when everything changed for us. But just going back to your point there as well on um, the TVs in the classroom and things like that when they're getting rolled in, I'm actually hearing it. Honestly, I mean, in Canada now, and I I don't want to go back and start harping on about things like this, but Canada falls way down the pecking order in in soccer terms. You know, there's probably four or five sports ahead, easily ahead. And what we're hearing, I think we, we, we're getting a huge audience for an afternoon kickoff in Canada. I think it was three, four o'clock uh, kickoff in the afternoon in Canada the other day. Huge audience. These guys who nobody knows about, everyone knows of Alfonso Davies. Everybody maybe is starting to learn about Jonathan David now. But no one knows any of the other guys in the team, nobody. And now all of a sudden, all these kids, we're hearing schools rolling the TVs in. So the kids are watching mm-hmm. the, the soccer games in school. It's absolutely unheard of. And it's great now that, you know, we talk about legacies from World Cup. And I heard Johnny talking about the Qatari World Cup and legacies and things like this. Might not necessarily be the case here, granted, but it does have a meaning in other parts of the world. And that is hopefully what we're going to see in Canada with the next World Cup in 2026 being there. I'm hoping four years down the line, there's a real buzz ahead, ahead of that um, going into, into games being played o- over there in Canada. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. The legacy might not be in Qatar, but it'll be elsewhere, like the the, the bank holiday in Saudi Arabia and things like that. You know, the people in Saudi Arabia are never going to forget that that game against Argentina, regardless of mm. what happens from Ireland. Uh, Philip Kostic, left wing back for Serbia, according to Kostic, Kostic. Yeah, yeah. How how he didn't start the game? I mean, he 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 was a regular all the way through for for uh, for Serbia. Yeah, I I didn't understand his team selection, but there was obviously issues there, but. Um, I, I I still fancy Serbia somehow. Sir, I think Serbia are a top side. Finally, Kev, uh, the the news. I don't know if you've seen it overnight. Oshin Mullen has accepted a position to play with the Geelong Cats. Mayo Gia has announced the move on social media, wishing him the best in his new endeavour, thanking yeah. him for all the memories. Two-time Young Footballer of the Year. Um, uh, as a club, we appreciate the magnitude of moving overseas. This is Geelong, and understood Oshin's reasons for remaining in Ireland and not joining us for this season. Uh, I mean, Kev, it's a remains to be seen what Lee Keegan is going to do in terms of retiring or not retiring and staying on for next year yeah. but this this, regardless Oshin Mullen heading off to us is a, is a bit of a blow for, for Mayo and Kevin McStay it is there's, there's going to be retirements anyway I think and you know, I think we all hope Lee Keegan does carry on but you, you only get you, as I was going to say there you only get one crack at it he had a, he had a chance to go last summer and decided to, to maybe uh, to stay back and just to have a good, another crack at the All-Ireland which didn't work out but um I just think we all wish him all the best. It, you know, it, it's still going to be a hard road for him to go and succeed over there in Australia. But um, good luck to him. He's been incredible. He's, he's a young man with with so much potential, and I think he's I think he's got everything within him as a, as an athlete and everything to go and succeed over there in Australia. So good luck to him. May, in male terms, yeah, I think Kevin McStay. You can't replace him at the moment. There's, there's nobody else right now to, to to step in and replace him. So it's going to be a, a huge um, a huge void.
Yeah, fair play to him. Big loss for Mayo, but a uh, massive boost for Geelong Cats. Uh, of course, he joins Zach Tui and Mark O'Connor over there. Uh, Kev, great stuff as always. We'll check in again. Enjoy the games today. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Johnny. All the best, boys. Great stuff, Kevin Gaban there over in Qatar. Uh, right, FIFA and football fans, watch out for this. Virgin Media is hosting a game for Ireland, which will see Irish football legends David Myler and Stephanie Roach take on Ireland's top esports football players and Team Wild athletes at 5pm on Tuesday next, the 29th of November. The game will be live-streamed on Twitch and takes place in Cork City FC's Turner's Cross Stadium, all powered by Virgin Media Broadband, 99.9% broadband reliability. After this short ad break, we're with Alan Quinlan, live from Cork. OTB AM. 19 minutes past eight on Friday's OTB AM with myself and Johnny Ward. Delighted to say Alan Quinlan joins us on the line now. Morning, Quinny, how are things? Morning, lads. Good, thanks, Shane. All good. What are your World Cup memories? Your fir- your earliest <laughs> World Cup memories, Quinny, when you thought you might play a proper sport? <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus. Well, I, you say a proper sport. I loved I loved soccer growing up. Yeah. But, well, it wasn't a World Cup memory. It was. Uh, I'll give you a World Cup one in a minute. But um, the the first big soccer memory was, and I've said this before, and and off the ball was uh, Ray Houghton's goal at Euro Euro eighty eight. Uh, yes. oh. Um, and then obviously Italian 90 his goal there as well um, I nearly got there I was trying to scramble a few quid together to <laughs> to, to get to, to America uh, there was a possibility that a, a neighbour was going to was going to bring me um, but never happened but you yeah, could tell more fun me page now you know <laughs> could have yeah but back then it was uh, it was much harder now there was no such thing as go fund me it was uh the neighbours maybe or friends or relations you could rely on if you wanted to go anywhere but look I, I that Ray Houghton goal against Italy in, in Italia 90 um, those are the ones the two you know the really special memories those ones and I remember them well and being glued to it um, the John Aldridge incident with Jack Charlton when Mexico beat him 2-0 and he couldn't get on the field um, unbelievable yeah I was so so into it back then class moments uh, class moments you took the wrong the wrong path in life but anyway here we are <laughs> uh, I wasn't good enough for the soccer jack <laughs> when he turned out alright let me tell you and, and, mo- and most of the Tipperary hurling people said well the fellas who weren't good enough for, for the hurling started playing rugby so <laughs> here we are <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we should touch uh, on, but we will talk about the URC of course this weekend but um, I mean Quinny the Ronan O'Gara suspension has taken a lot of headlines this week his fourth suspension by the way since November of 2021 so 10 weeks um, a bit of a fine as well thrown in there 15,000 um, I mean is this pointing for Ronan we obviously don't know what was said on the sidelines it, it's different in France I guess where the, the head coaches can be down pitch side as opposed to up in the up in the nosebleeds so it's um, it's disappointing for Ronan it is and uh, I think I kind of giggled at the last one because um, but not this one I think look it's it's obviously very disappointing for him and um, he, I, I, I know him so well. He's very passionate. He's he's fiery. Um, he really cares about his team, and he's engrossed in that. And obviously, he's he's got to um, be just be more careful and think this wasn't a sideline incident, or you know, talking to referees after a game or during. Um, this was feedback he sent back um, to the head of the referees in France. And did it through the proper channels, but probably um, didn't uh, didn't say it in a way that that obviously said it in a way that got himself into trouble. So 
And it's probably on the back of, of the other incidents where he's had a few clashes and he's spoken about referees. And so it's not good for him. It's, it's, it's obviously very disappointing. It's pretty severe punishment as regards, um, you know, the length of time that he'd be not be able to be on the sideline or involved in match day, the match day preparations and the fine as well. So, um, particularly in the week that, um, he's been linked with, Possible job in 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 with with England, um, but I think he's always going to be linked with with uh, many big jobs that come up now in the game. But um, that's disappointing, and it'll be obviously he can't say a lot about it himself. But um, I did speak to him about it, and he's kind of frust- obviously frustrated. But uh, I think knowing that he he needs to just handle things a little bit differently, and I think uh, with with the obviously with with Razzie's videos and. And what's happened there, I think everybody is very mindful of it. And maybe that didn't help the situation with the French referees either. But we've got to respect the referees. Uh, we, we we don't always agree with their decisions. And um, he has to be just more careful in, in how he sends that feedback back if he's frustrated. It, it's emanated from incidents in the the Toulouse game that they played, that they lost 26-17. So, yeah, um, not great news for him, but um, he's got to either decide now to appeal or, or get on with it. And um, how will it affect his team? Who knows? I think he's still able to train them every week, but it's just being cl- close and personal with him on match day. is mm. um, He's not going to be able to do that. Yeah, the statement said uh, he was suspended for, quote, harming the best interests of rugby. Didn't specify when... This incident happened, but the only match uh, Ronan O'Gara has coached since the previous ban apparently was against Breve on November 5th. Um, so the sanction will last until January 30th. This 10 weeks, he can, as you said, Quinny appeal it. Uh, leaves him out of the, the Heineken Champions Cup uh, pool games. But I mean, as you said, the England links are there. The lads were talking on the show during the week, trying to imagine a world where Ireland are playing England in a Six Nations match. Ronan O'Gara is the head coach of England. He's up there wearing the wearing the rose, last-minute drop goal or penalty for England to win it, and he's kissing the badge. I can't can see you, that Can you imagine all. it, Quinny? I can't see it. Um, it's hard to picture it, um, <laughs> but if, if, if I was in his shoes, you'd probably say, no, I'd never do that, I'd never do that, I'd never do that, until there's actually a piece of paper on the table or there's yeah. a concrete offer and people are starting to talk about it, and then you kind of go, unless it's one where you're kind of Roy Keane-esque and you go, well, you just don't ever do that. Manchester United players don't ever go to Man City or Liverpool or, you know, the way he's so determined. If Obviously, if he says it, he would stick to it. Um, I, initially, I was like, God, I, I wonder will that happen? But then we've got, you know, Andy Farrell, who's an English guy coaching Ireland and, um, and my cat as well. So, should the should the individual kind of restrict his opportunity or the possibility of having success? Conor O'Shea was with England. It's strange. I'm you know I met Conor O'Shea a number of times when he was involved with England, working with them over the years. Um, involved with their twenties last year, and it's it's strange when you meet them. You're kind of gone. You have to kind of. Hippies give yourself a little nudge, yeah. You have to give yourself a little nudge that they're actually involved with England because of the history and the rivalry. But then, the other side of it, things, um, 
you know, if I was in that situation, I was say a forwards coach or something like that in coaching and I got offered uh, the English job. Yeah, it's there's a lot to think about, but from a from a career prospect point of view, it's it's the top of the game and and he said it himself, they're no matter what way they do in between at nearly every World Cup, they're they're a chance of possibly winning it. So um it would be very strange, but I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it completely out and I, and he hasn't really gone into any detail with me in it for any listeners or anyone thinking that there's a scoop on this, but I know from him that he would he would certainly look at the offer and look at the situation if one did materialise. Could they make him um, an offer he can't refuse? Well, that's the thing for me, Johnny. I was just thinking, they write a number down on a piece of paper. Well, then, a lot of uh, patriots and passionate <laughs> Irish peoples, their heads could be swayed very quickly and say, look, I'll weather the storm here and the bit of grief I'm going to get. Take the dirty shilling, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's lots of Irish went over to to uh, to uh, to England back in the day to feed their families and make a living and stuff, and took the um, the, the English pound. But um, look, I don't know. Obviously, if you had, it's different if you had a couple of offers on the table and the other offers were were different and not the English job. But if you, if the English job comes on the table as a standalone offer. He he has to consider it and he has to look at it. And I'm not saying I'd be over the moon to see Raj coach in England, but I'd be happy for him as personally, whatever decision he makes. And you know, maybe we it, it would it would be strange, but I think I wouldn't I wouldn't knock him for 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 considering it and looking at the offer because you've got to uh, it's it's a short kind of career and it can change very quickly and it's not like football management where the money is off the charts and and you know you get a two or three year contract in football and, uh, and soccer English premiership soccer and as a manager as a player and you make lots and lots and lots sizable money that can change your whole life um, even though the salaries would be decent for, for uh, international coaches it's not life changing um, but it still would be significant and I think they're the one union that could put an offer on the table that could could sway you and uh, make you look at it. I think it, well, the talk is that he's on this three-man shortlist with Scott Robertson and Steve Borthwick. So remains to be seen whether uh, I, I, I would imagine Shane they try and put the two of them together, right? Um, Scott Robertson and uh, or even the three of them together, mm. because you look at Robinson being head coach, Rog's assistant, or, or you know backs skills, defense, whatever. And but Steve can you take? Is it, is it tough for Rog then to take like? And he kind of hinted at this last week, almost that you know, when you, once you've been a head coach as he is with La Rochelle, it's quite difficult to then go and and yeah, take an ego head yeah. and be the number two or an assistant coach or whatever. Yeah, you look at what Stuart Lancaster did and being an England head coach, and it it um, it didn't work out, and um, he lost his job after the World Cup in 2015, was kind of thrown under the bus really, and um, for him to come back into the game, um, it was a perfect scenario to be to be an assistant coach and get his kind of mojo back for coaching. And um, obviously he's done a fantastic job with Leinster over the years. And now he's going to Racing as a head coach. So, yeah, I think to go back, you know, and make the decision to go back is 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 dependent, particularly when you take that top job and you're in control. 
but I'll tell you, there's a hell of a lot of of work in being the top co, um, you know, the head coach. There's so much more to it than the assistant, even though there's still, you know, you've got a you've got a lot of work, but you've got to drive the whole organization and um, make a lot more decisions. So um, when you get a taste of it, obviously he says he loves it and he likes being in control and he likes, um, you know, controlling the destiny of his own team. So going back as an assistant. Who knows? It might, uh, but I would imagine they'll try. They would, if they if they were trying to get a package here, the three guys that are being linked, um, the three of them together would be would be a brilliant package for for England. Just, just from the, from the outside looking in, what he's done at La Rochelle um, to go over to a country where they speak a foreign language, obviously, um, and to get them to the to the level that he has, like how how seismic is that in world rugby? It's big. It's very big, Johnny. And um, I think he, he obviously going to Racing when he retired for a couple of years hel- helps the whole situation because France is very... Um, they, they Sometimes they don't see beyond France. And, and if you can crack it in France um, and get the earned respect to the players and the, the other clubs and the other coaches and... Um, I think it makes life a little bit easier at that whole perception and, and more accepting. It's there's many very there's lots of good coaches over the years who've gone to clubs in France and struggled and, and hasn't worked out long term because um the culture is different and 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 it's to 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 kind of get under that level um of the individual and get that connection with them can be challenging sometimes and you know they always have um incredible talent. You just look at the French national team now. I think one of the big issues for a long time was um, coaching structures and fitness levels for the national players. Um, obviously, in, incredible individual talent, but what Galtier has done, Sean Edwards, even as they've got them incredibly fit, they've got them really well coached, um, and they've they've won the players over, and the players love love that, and they were kind of they're you know in their the last 10 years where we haven't seen success previous to obviously winning a Grand Slam um, in the last Six Nations, there was, um, you know, they hadn't won in 10, 12 years a Grand Slam or a championship and France were poor a lot. And it's similar with the clubs, you know, you could play, I think with the exception probably of Toulouse, um, Clermont, Racing for a number of years there where they were challenging in Europe. There was probably three or four clubs that you think they have it pretty much right as regards, you know, the attitude, players buying into, uh, you know, Europe and the top 14 and being really consistent and good. Um, for him to go there and kind of do it with La Rochelle where they'd never won a major trophy um, to win the European Cup, to, you know, be in the final the previous year when when uh, John O'Gibbs was there, obviously, as well, and, and, and come close in the league to... Um, they lost both both finals to Toulouse the previous year. To do that is very impressive, and you know I know from talking to Bernard Jackman and Mike Prendergast when you kind of break it in France, but it helps with Ronan O'Gara, doesn't it? Because he's got that that respect from playing and that that. But it still doesn't guarantee you success, and um, I think the re- players respect him and like him, and you know he's got himself in a little spot of bother now. But I think the club. And the fans love what he did last year. And we saw those scenes. So it is very impressive. But he started, Johnny, on that journey of 
of doing it with wrestling first and and trying to learn and get into that culture and understand it. Obviously, been you know learning the language pretty quickly and then going to New Zealand mm-hmm. and coming back again. Um, so. Yeah, he's earned that respect, I suppose, and that makes a huge difference. He's building his he's building his CV to be the Ireland manager in England. It's just that that final step on the ladder, like to be the Ireland manager. <laughs> That's like. the way I like to. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, I think with Andy Farrell, obviously, we have yeah, an English coach. Yeah, you have to remember signing the new contract. It's um, you know, there's no that position is. Who knows what Andy Farrell will do in 2025? He could be there for no, not another number of years. Mm. He's done an incredible job. Um. The problem is now, yeah, does Ronan go in as an assistant somewhere along the line? Would he get involved with Ireland? You know, does he take one of the provinces? Well, who knows? But um, Rory O'Connor made the point here. I think it was Rory during the week in the Irish Independent talking about the fact that the IRFU should be pulling out all the stops to ensure that O'Gara is signed up somewhere. I think yeah, you, but what you, did they do? What did they do? Just uh, get rid you know, of someone back in, mm. yeah. create a job for him. <laughs> get create him in. a job, you know. I don't. I don't know. I think he looked. And, and there was a mention of David Nusifora's job and stuff like that. I, I, he wants to coach. He wants to be involved in that kind of adrenaline rush every weekend. Uh, I think. What would be his biggest like? A, 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 where would Munster and Ireland lie in his aspirations? In, I'd say for, um, right up there, Johnny. Like I think ultimately, um, but he's under no illusions. I think you know Munster. He's been linked with Munster, and you know even. When Johan van Gran was leaving last this time last year, there was when it was announced in December last year, it was a, he was immediately linked with the job. Um, was in his first season as head coach with La Rochelle. Um, but I think you know, for any of us, that kind of monster blood is is always will always be there. Um, but from a selfish point of view, I think monster are in transition, and you know he was here started a project with La Rochelle, so. The, the project or the, the, the timing of it just wasn't right for him, particularly when he had been in La Rochelle for, for the, as an assistant for the previous two seasons. And now he was getting an opportunity. He, he didn't want to give that up. So he was proven right because he, he, La Rochelle's development or position was in a much stronger place than where Munster are and the change that's happening there now. So they obviously had strength, depth, quality right across the board and, and experience and older players who were able to challenge for Europe. Um, so I think his aspirations would be, I think someday, yes, of course, I would see him, co- I would love to see him coach in Munster and be the head the head man in Munster. Just very, very briefly, Quinny, just to look, looking ahead to the URC this weekend, we've Ulster Zebra tonight at 7.35, Leinster versus Glasgow tomorrow at 3.15 and then tomorrow night is, uh, I guess, the big one from an Irish interest the uh, the interpro between Munster and Connacht at 7.35 anything you're particularly looking forward to seeing this weekend well we've given 20 minutes talking about Rog so um, <laughs> he's uh, Rog will be fine and um, he probably uh, probably won't ever take the English job so the list of the people <laughs> uh, the listeners need to worry about that I think obviously the biggest game is is the Munster Connacht game um, and that's the one that stand out you know it's great to see Ulster plays Zebra tonight and, and with Ian Henderson coming back that that's an important one for me mm. I think he's been very very unfortunate um, with injury in recent times and he I think he's very very important to Ireland going forward um, so hopefully he can you know get some game time and get back for Ulster who've done remarkably well I think you know they've, they've only lost one game that was to, to Leinster and they're they're second in the league um, so you know, 
you think they're going to win tonight. Zebra haven't won any game in the league so far. Um, Leinster, Glasgow tomorrow, it's a bit of an unknown what kind of teams will be picked there. Mm. But um, the Munster-Connacht one is, I think both sides are, and, and Connacht people would say, Munster 14th in the table, Connacht are 12th. Both Munster find themselves in a fight now to be uh, not 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 really talking about playoffs, but qualifying for Europe. I think um, is is nearly more important, even though one will go hand in hand with the other. Um, but they're obviously they've 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 won two games, lost five. Connacht are one point one point ahead of them in the league, um, but. A win for either side could push him up to, you know, sixth or seventh in the in the league, depending on results. And given what happened a number of weeks ago in round four, where Connacht beat Munster twenty points to eleven in the sports ground, um, again there was both sides were under similar pressure. They they hadn't won a game at that stage. They'd lost their, you know, the the poor results in those first three games. Um, this one is a real kind of potential humdinger, if you like, as regards. Um, the, the, there's, there's been a bit of a bite in this game and obviously um, it's Munster being at home and given the position they're in the kind of question is can they build off that South Africa performance that they had in Porky Cueve a couple of weeks ago and uh, and get themselves a result yeah, momentum is a real thing. It remains to be seen if they can keep that going. But Munster, Connacht, tomorrow evening at 7.35, as Quinny said. Leinster, Glasgow, 3.15 tomorrow, and then Ulster Zebra is the, the game tonight at 7.35. Quinny, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Thanks. Anna Quinlan there with us on a Friday, as per usual. Some great um, stories in the papers, Johnny. People are describing the USA-England game tonight as the James Corden. Darby, whoever yeah. whoever loses has to take him. You're not having a, you want him cordoned off from society. You're oh, having that one. I see what you did there, Johnny. Yeah. Better but than that Brazilian pun. That's yeah, to be fair. He does. Uh, I mean, we've all, or certainly I, have been subject to a lot of like vilification on social media. Oh, Jesus! And it's sure not nice. Have. But the big man gets a lot of it. He does. He does. And the big he's he's a big, big. Yeah. Man. He, look, yeah, like, he, he, like the Gavin and Stacey days. I think he was, he was quite a liked figure. And then uh, like, some stories come out. Whether they're true or not, I don't, I don't know. But stories about him in restaurants and airplanes and all the rest, you know. But uh, yeah, not, not having the big man, the James Corden derby. It's been built. <laughs> uh, there's a great, there's a great one. I kind of touched on it uh, earlier on. But um, story of the, the the games between USA and and England in the past. Rob Green was quoted that one all draw in the opening match in 2010. But um, there was another great game. So this was the 1950 uh, World Cup. So England had a fancy team: Billy Wright, uh, Tom Finney, Stan Mortensen. And the USA team were amateurs, so Frank Borgie was their goalkeeper, former baseball player. Uh, he drove a hearse for his day job, needed his defenders to take the goal kicks because he never kicked the ball, he didn't know how to kick the ball. But I mean, just some of the England all over them for the first 20 minutes. And there was interviews done in 2010 to kind of mark that, that game in the first World Cup. The, the winning goal, 30th minute, scored by Joe Gitchens, a Haiti-born dishwasher from New York. He went on to play professionally in France. Um I mean, it was just he was. I was like, "What? How was he a dishwasher? Oh, he actually washed dishes. Washed dishes. He wasn't a dishwasher. (laughs) He wasn't like actually a dishwasher. He was a dishwasher. That makes sense. That makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a great, great, great anecdote. That's brilliant. Uh, Some just some great stories from that day. And and Gitchin's life ending in tragedy. He was arrested in Haiti in July 1964 by the uh, the Tonton Macu, the the militia of the dictator Francois Papa Doc Duvalier, and never seen again.
This is the guy who scored the winner in the 1950 World Cup mm. for the USA against England. Um, so just a mad history between the two teams. But um, the sort of thing that, like, essentially, still goes on in Saudi Arabia, where the next World, where the 2030 World Cup might be. You know, yeah. thing. I mean, it's funny because when you when you think of that, you think, well, FIFA are more than capable of giving the 2030 30 World Cup to Saudi Arabia because. A lot of people calling for it to be in, I think there's a conglomerate of countries, Uruguay being one of them, because mm. of course the, it'll be the 100th anniversary of the first ever World Cup in Uruguay, so a few of those nations in South America coming together to, to, to launch a bid. I know there are other bids as well, but I mean, the Saudi bid, you almost now just at this stage expect the Saudi yeah. bid to win. Now, that's not to say, like, Saudi Arabia has a, a young population, a lot, like it does. A, a large proportion under the age of, of 35, who love football, and they actually, they at least, unlike Qatar, have a football culture, you know. They've, they've, they've a big population. Like it yeah. would make a lot of sense, apart from the fact that it's a horrible despotic regime. Exactly. But I, I mean, who cares about that? Well, yeah. We could bring democracy, could we, Mohammed bin Salman? And maybe that's what I'm Vitino's thinking. Like, I'll have a chat with him at the opening game, and Terry Imra beside me. And maybe I'll be able to butter him up and bring democracy. I just to can't. You the see, Saudi dynasty. That's the, even when you're watching the Saudi Arabia Argentina game, and you're seeing the the Saudi flag, the green with the the sword, the executioner sword, and you're like. This is this is insane. Like, if the World Cup is in in um, uh, Saudi Arabia in twenty thirty, you'll have fans. There'll probably be a fan area set up in the Chop Chop Square, which is this infamous square where mm. beheadings happen all the time. There's probably beheadings this weekend in 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 Riyadh. I mean, there were a scatter. I think just going into the World Cup. Yeah, it's Sam just in his piece, but um. No, Mohammed. He loves. He loves. Uh, he loves football, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, um, just bring people through the, the couple of the back pages. The, I mean, the wonder goal, as I said, is uh, is taking a lot of them. The Irish Daily Mail. Richarlison wonder strike lights up World Cup. Brazilian. Are you having that? Playing, playing your Brazil, Brazilian. Yeah, yeah, Brazilian of them. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, Ronaldo's record with goal in fifth tournament and uh, touching on with Quinny there, of course. So Gara voices interest in taking England job. Um, Leaving the door open, Ronan McGara saying it would be an, an exciting opportunity. The RFO, RFU currently in the process of sourcing a successor to Eddie Jones. He's leaving his post of England head coach, of course, after the uh, the World Cup next year. Uh, the back page of the Star. Red Apple tech giants have their eye on United. Uh, Apple interested in buying Manchester United in a stunning <sighs> 6.75 billion euro deal. We'll see if that happens. Uh, Tyler, spiders scare me more. USA skipper Tyler Adams saying he is more afraid of spiders than facing England in today's World Cup showdown. So... Loads of stories. We'll get uh, back to, to a few of those in the, the back pages um, across the show, but 8.45 approaching on uh, Friday morning's OTB AM. We had the very sad news uh, that came in yesterday um, that the, the former GA president and Monaghan manager, Sean McCaig, had passed away at the age of 77. Uh, beloved, uh, I know he was much-loved husband of Bernie uh, and his, uh, his daughters as well, Paula, Nula, Martha, Frida and Emma. Plenty of... Um, uh, sons-in-law, grandchildren as well. So really, really sad day for the GEA. Um, and um, uh, we have on the line now to, to, to pay tribute to, to Sean's life and career, uh, the former Monaghan player and uh, legend as well, Eugene Newdy-Hughes, and the, uh, the Scotstown manager and uh, a nephew of Sean's, David McCaig. Morning, lads. How are things? Morning, Shane. David? Thanks. Thanks a lot for joining us, lads. Uh, and, and look, uh, first off, condolences to both of you, of course. This is a... Uh, uh, yesterday was a sad day for, for the GEA, for Monaghan GEA in general. Um, David, I know it, it must be so tough for, for yourself and the family to process this. Um, I, I know Sean's had an illness for the last number of years, but um, a really sad day. And it's it's kind of inspiring to see some of the, the stories being shared about him since he's passed away as well. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose that's the overriding emotion, uh, Shane, is sadness, but, but one of pride as well um, when we, we see the impact that he had on so many lives and so many people, um, I think, 
you know, one of the words that have been used mostly around Sean over the last few days has been leader and the leadership qualities that he, that he possessed. And I know there's a, there's a huge industry developing around leadership coaching and leadership modelling uh, over the last few years. I suppose I've been lucky on reflection in, in my time knowing Sean that I suppose I've got a live lesson in, in leadership and, and modelling leadership values um, you know, through his vision, his inspiration, but most of all, I suppose, his, his value of people. And I think that's something that, you know, the, the, the warmth that he, that he showed towards other people and the influence that he that, that, that he weighed on those people and always positive influence. Um, and I suppose how he made them feel was, was, was how he communicated that influence. And again, that, that, that's something that, that's, that's come to, to like not only the last few days, but the last few years reflected on, on his influence on us as a, as a family and as, us, as a community in Scotland GA Club and in Monaghan, the Monaghan GA Circus, but also nationally as well. Um, that just that warmth of, of personality, that, that gravitas that he had that attracted people to him. And then once you were attracted into Sean's presence, he could elevate you to, to, to a sense of uh, and a feeling um, that, 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 that really you know, was lifted you. And um, that, that, that was a, a real personal quality of his that I, I haven't seen in too many others. The, the, just reading there the tributes today, David, it was like, um, you know, to be a good man manager, there's no manual. Like it's not like because if it's contrived, you'll you'll be you'll be able to see through that. Like what were the qualities that made him such a a natural, I guess, man manager and a, a natural inspiration to everyone? Yeah, I suppose first of all it was his genuineness. He had a genuine interest in people, um, and and that that you know that was evident in all his interactions with people. Um, actually, you know, Johnny, you mentioned you know man management. Uh, and maybe Nudie might speak to this, but there's a, there's a huge investment in sports psychology at the moment. Mm. Um, and it's, Nudie started out back in back in the 70s. And I know their own team here in Scotland in 74 was a breakthrough championship. But Sean was the manager, but he's also the sports psychologist. And I say that that I suppose that ability to elevate other people and give them a sense of their own self-esteem and their own self-worth, uh, and that transcended into into their performance in the field. And again, I, I had a brief taste of myself. He took over a very unfancied Scotland team in 2004. I was posted his time as GA president. That was again his humility as well to go back to the coalface and uh, to take on, as like I said, an unfancied senior team. And Blaney, that was Nudie's club, were sort of the kingpins at the time. I remember we beat Blaney in the championship. And again, for me as a young player, this was something I can really dream of. Um, but Sean, I suppose you dealt in this is inspiration, and he had that vision and belief and genuine belief that that this unfancied Scotland team could take on the, the likes of Castle Blaney at that time. And I think that was the psychology that he used us as young men at that time. Uh, was I say a lesson in in motivation and a lesson in leadership. So his man management skills went down to that that genuine belief in people and in their qualities and um, a sense of place as well. Like Sean managed Scotstown, he managed Monaghan. He had no real ambition to, to manage a, a, anywhere else, even though he did do a stint with, with Eugene McGee with the Irish team. But I say just that sense of place and and, and his belief in the people of his own place um, was was really powerful. That leadership it was certainly um, paramount when it came to Sean, and, and, and obviously I know David, you're, you're the principal now in St McCartan's College in Monaghan, and, and Sean for many years was was principal in school where at Mary's uh, National School. He was my own principal for for a couple of years as well. Like one of those people when you spoke when he spoke, you listened. Like even Nudie, from your perspective, as David was saying there, I mean he, he was the manager of Monaghan through such a successful period, and you were you were a, a pivotal part of that team as well. Uh, you know, came on board I think in '78, wins the Ulster Championship in '79, does it again in '85 and '88, Division One national title in '85. Like David was talking there about the sports psychology element, diet, nutrition, and, and just being ahead of the curve uh, seemed to be a big thing with Sean as well. It, it's hard to believe that 1979 he was thinking of things like diet and nutrition. Yes, uh, it's amazing now because uh, there's a fortune we made now in psychology and all in the sports uh, arena. But uh, Sean's time is. Uh, would be very clear and very definite in his leadership roles because his presence in the dressing room uh, 
it inspired you because when he talked, you listened. And like when, when we were doing our, our training program, like it was the old way, the system in Monaghan up until 1977 was five selectors. When Sean came in, the, the county agreed one man, uh, one vice with a couple of selectors. And we had a setback in 78, which was a learning curve for Sean to us as well as the team. And uh, 79, that was all rectified by Sean. And the training programs were he read up on. It's mad, and, and, and like you just wanted. What, what, what was he like in the dressing room? Like, was it a, a case of man management? Was it was he a, a kind of a gentle manager, or was there there times where he maybe didn't want to cross him? Yes, it's like everything else. Uh, managers are there to manage, not to be liked. Sean knew the, the right buttons to push on key players. Uh, when when things were going down, he could always talk to the players at half time individually and as a group, but inspire the players to let other players. Uh, the old story is, it's not how good you are, it's how good you make the players around you. And in our case, Sean done that nicely. He knew to put the buttons to press and key players. And in the three times that Sean came back, the three times we were in Ulster, unfortunately, uh, it, it worked out well for a lot of us. And it's unfortunate we met Munster each time we won Ulster. And we were very unlucky uh, he was instilling belief into the players, but some of the players, because it was Kerry, they were waiting for the rebound to Kerry, and it sort of it, it did come back, but there wasn't enough players believed that could actually beat this great Kerry team, and we almost stepped across the line. And you know that was the one thing we always talked about after and Sean me when we meet up. It was the fact that those couple of decisions uh, changed the fortune of modern football. Not it. We performed very well, played very well, but we didn't cross the line, and that was all. It's a and even lately on the knee chance we need to. We almost got there, but we just failed in that final kick. This is eighty five, yeah. This is uh, when when you're taking on Mikko's what the Mikko's great <laughs> team and brought them to. Did you brought them to a replay? Was it? In eighty five, the replay, and uh, if we, we had our chances. The one thing we had against Kerry, we won more possession. But they were able to neutralise us in possession ways and convert what they had. They took their chances. We just missed out on it. But like everything else, there's no reruns in a, in a match like that. You get your opportunity, you take it. And Sean was always inspiring players to exert what they have on the field, in the training field, to go out and perform it on the day. And that's one thing that he led from the Scotland club to the Irish team and most of all to, to Monaghan where he was... He, like, he really lifted the players. Every time he came back in, players responded. Because in, um, in 88, Jerry McCabell and myself were uh, slightly wet, or what do you call, put on a few extra pounds in, in winter. We wintered well, as the old saying goes. <laughs> and uh, I remember we trained on a Sunday morning on New Year's Day, and it was a 15-minute run, and I think I lasted three minutes, 30-something seconds, and Jerry must have read about seven minutes. And come Tuesday night in St. McCartan's, uh, he put the weighing scales in front of the players in the field and he says, right, Nudie and Jerry, up in front of us, he says, we're not going to win anything unless you boys are fit. And we responded and Nile Minor, very dedicated, notified everything and uh, the rest is history. We, we, produced the take, we produced the performance to win that. And again, up against Cork, we failed. But the one thing that Sean did in that time was we we qualified for the National League for uh, the playoffs that stage 
that's why we generated our funds for the county. Uh, we qualified up to 10 years for the quarterfinals and semifinals of the of the National League, which was phenomenal for the team we had. And uh, we weren't a down at the cabin of us. We were Monaghan. And we just, we won our national title, our first national title, and it was absolutely fantastic. And that was, that was the, you know, the cornerstone you could say about Sean McCaig. His legacy is respect and respect all those around you. You perform, you perform on the day. The one thing you have to prepare well. And in doing that, Sean had dealt that in detail to us. And uh, we story in 79 where he was looking that wee bit of edge on uh, teams to get into, into the playoff to make sure on the day of a match, he came out with the glucose sweet. It was instant energy into the bloodstream. And he gave, never forget, he'd give this sweet to us before the match without boys. This is, it'll give you that wee bit edge. And even though it didn't, uh, to some players, you felt when you took this, it was, you know, you were doing the right thing to get that edge. And that's what Sean was looking that the edge to step across. <laughs> the psychology of it, I suppose, more than anything. Uh, like David, just reading some of the tribute to, uh, to Sean since his passing. Um, like big big family and uh, I know a staunch family man as well too Sean by all accounts um, reading that he that he donated a kidney as well to his to his brother Gabriel back in the early 80s like two brothers of seven in, in a family of ten so I mean that that's that kind of speaks volumes of the man as well it does yeah and even just as I'm reflecting on, on, on my comments earlier on of his genuine interest in people I suppose he got that from his mother and ran a bar and a shop in, in Scotland Village uh, her husband was a guard and spent a lot of time away. And so his mother was, you know, say a natural people's person as well. And so that's where he, he learned his values. And those values, you know, tr- you know, transcend the whole family. I suppose Ludi mentioned legacy and, you know, Sean is a, a fantastic legacy locally and, and, and around the county and nationally as well. But I think his greatest legacy are his, are his children and his girls mm. um, and the way they have carried themselves over the last number of years through his illness. And I suppose they, you know, I was looking and talking to a few of them last night and it really resonated with you. I suppose their joie de vivre and their fun and fairness. And those are the two characters that I associate very most with Sean. Um, he was fantastic company, fantastic fun to be around. And they're the same. And his grandchildren as well. And so his legacy will live on through them. And um, through, you know, it'll, it'll impact on, on our club and our community for generations to come through those people. It's mad because then he had a separate legacy as well. Aside from his incredible coaching career, and as you said, he was part of the international rules setups as well. But first modern man to be GA president from from two thousand to two thousand and three, and a key role in a number of different initiatives. I suppose one of the most memorable, David, was was Rule Twenty One. So this course rule banning members of the British security forces from from playing GA, and he overturned that. And it was a you know this is only a couple of years after the Good Friday Agreement, but. You know, I know Sean probably had to deal with a lot of stern opposition to, to even reversing that up in, in Ulster, especially. But he, he got it done, and it, that, that, that's something that uh, strikes me about Sean that that as GA president, he got things done. Yeah, and I suppose I remember at that time that was a particularly, I suppose, emotive issue around suppose, the border counties at that time. Um, and so Sean, as an Ulster man, um, I suppose engaging with with the six counties in, in Northern Ireland was, was a very difficult one for him personally. But again, he believed in fairness. He's a man of his time in terms of context, and he knew that the context and that things were shifting in Northern Ireland and the GA. I suppose a massive community partner, and um, you know the, the major sporting body in the country had a role to play. And I think that he, he, you know, on reflection, it was a major move of the GA at the time, and it took huge leadership. Uh, and he showed that leadership at the time and managed to I suppose, engage with all parties, listen to all parties, and um, through through I suppose a democratic process, he led that. And uh, I think uh, on reflection, it was the right move at the time. And there's been massive benefits from that. 
in, in the last 25 years. I suppose one of the one of the uh, the great things, Nudie, was the, the fact that uh, for people who aren't aware, you're you're a Castlebilly Fogs man and look three time All Star as well. So anytime you were coming up against Scotstown back in back in those days at a club level, I guess that was the big rivalry. They were the two big clubs at the time. Um, still are two of the big clubs in Monaghan as well. But you, you know, what was it like to come up against Sean McCaig's Scotstown? Because even at county level, then I suppose it speaks volumes of him the fact that he was able to bring all those players together. That it's such a rivalry at club level. Yes, uh, yeah, Johnny, uh, there's no question about that. Uh, when Scotstown played Danny at the, in the early stages, uh, the old saying, it was war without bullets. Mm. And uh, it was great because you, you remember you dated the, the county team on the Scotstown team and you had five of the Castlebrini folks team and five of the six backs of the Scotstown team were actually the county team. So it, it was, there, was, there was no loss, love lost the day of a match. But the one thing Scotland and Blaney had uh, above other teams, they had respect. And when the game was over, it was over. And uh, when Sean was in the background, you, you know, you just knew the Scotland were prepared in detail, as we were. And uh, we had great finals, we had great finals, great memories. And the great thing about the, the comradeship you make up in those battles, uh, they always stuck with us. The thing about it, Scotland and Castle Blaney, whatever happened in the field stayed in the field. Um, when Sean McKay was in the background, the respect we had for one another as a player, he was also a great friend. And when we, our reunion there came back in 2013, 25 years of the Ulster Championship, uh, Sean's health was slightly deteriorating. But the one thing he always, he ignited when, when the players, the 79 team got together, the 85 and 88, it really gave us that wee bit of lift. And, uh, Sean carried himself with distinction in everywhere. And when he walked into that room, even when we were in the Western Arms with the, the gathering, uh, he just had that presence about it. And you respected that. Every step that he took, you were walking in the path of a man that had gained respect nationally, Ulster, Ulster area, but more importantly in his own county and his own club. And everyone respected his decisions and that's what we benefit an awful lot as players. And a lot have been very successful in management, coaching staff and business. And they all can thank um, Porrick Duffy but, uh, and his good friend, Sean McKeague. That's the way they're, they're a great parent. Sean was, uh, Porrick was in the GSE when Sean became president. But they were always part of the family. And that's what made out Sean different than anyone else. And you mentioned the discussion in Casablini were fanatical battles, but uh, to, to, to hold the respect in Ulster, no other team or county run the championship the same day as Castleblaney and Scotland became when we were playing in the semi-finals or final. The t- opposition we called Cavan, Armagh, Down, none of them put on championships the same time as Castleblaney and Scotland because a lot of the neutrals went to see that match. Mm. And modern football was very strong. Scotland went on to win three Ulster clubs. Casablini had two. So we carried the form of the county into our club scene. And that was a a respect to, number one, the county itself, but the leadership that Sean McKagan instilled in teams and players will continue and it will be talked about in generations to come as David Eilig. Great family. Everything, Bernie and the girls, absolutely fabulous. We're there all the time for Sean uh, through his illness and very, very good. It's funny we start off talking with legacy, you know, at the start of the show. Like the, the, that 
conversation just show you the legacy like and it's that that imprint even after death and you imagine the GA or people in Monaghan will be looking how do we honour this man posthumously mm-hmm. because of the legacy that do we do we name something after him or whatever and I'm sure that the, that's already in the in the thoughts of many yeah I'm sure it will and just to give the final word to, to, to yourself David I know uh, you there will be stories galore at the at the, at the wake and the funeral in the coming coming days as well and that that uh, removal of Saturday morning half eleven. Uh, to arrive at St Mary's Chapel in Herbal Shanley uh, in Monaghan for, for 12 noon funeral mass this Saturday uh, and he'll be buried in the in the adjoining cemetery as well um, you're, you're going to get so many stories David and it's lovely to hear Nudie talking there but the, you know, the, the 25th anniversary of 1988 back in 2013 and uh, to hear people I guess people will be remembering now the last time they spoke to Sean and the, the stories they took from him but I'm sure uh, as your own life goes forward in your career that, that stories and, and, and legacy will be something you'll take with you that from, uh, from, from Sean's life Absolutely, uh, Shane. Like, we've learned so many lessons from it. So the, the greatest lesson he gave us, I suppose, and you know, we newly referenced it earlier, is the great heights that he managed to reach in the GEA and the, I suppose the people that, that he met there. And we, we would see him on a Sunday mingling with state dignitaries, maybe in Croke Park, and uh, people in the upper echelons of the GEA. And then on a Sunday evening, he would always return home and he would treat everyone at home equally with the same respect and the same dignity to treat those people that he met during the day. I think that was that's a fantastic quality to have, that humility, and that's, well, that's where he felt most comfortable. He was a keen huntsman in his, in his earlier days. He wasn't a great footballer. He, he sort of, a, a back injury sort of curtailed that, but he was a great person and a great man. And Nudy said that with the players that played under him, he changed a, a huge amount of lives. And I can say that personally as well. The influence he had in my life um, is, is hugely significant. And, and the single biggest influence on me was Sean. And, you know, that's, I think I met loads of different people yesterday, the same story to say. Actually, I, I met a Bally Bay man yesterday. I thought he made a lovely reference. He said he was Air Heffo that he led a generation of people to have a, a self-belief around who they were and what they could be. And I think that's, that's ultimately his legacy for Monaghan people, that it gives them a pep on their step and an inch in their, in, in their height and they can, they can be proud of who they are. And Sean played a massive role in that. That's a great way to put it. Our Heffo, Monaghan's Heffo. Uh, lads, David, uh, Nudie, thanks a million for joining us. I know it's not easy uh, so soon after, after Sean's death, but really appreciate you both taking the time to, to chat to us this morning. Thank you very much. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, so David McKeg there, the Scotstown manager, um, former Monaghan selector himself, and uh, of course he's the, the nephew of Sean McKeg, and we had Nudie Hughes there, three-time All-Star Monaghan legend. Uh, so very sad news yesterday, of course, paying tribute to Sean McKeg. The qualifier system, of course, <coughs> yeah. introduced under under his tenureship as well as GA president, so a Which, lot of things um, got done. Galway, the first team to win under to benefit the, from the back it, door. Yeah, of course. I think just reading, he, he felt that um, pragmatically there was a need for finance to come into the organisation and into yep. Core Park at that time and um, I have to say I I remember like as I remember him at, um, at the time but reading this morning and reading over the last um, couple of days what a man like what yeah. a legacy and I almost feel like I, I was in his presence just by reading people's tributes to him and somebody that was totally special you can you can tell that like yeah. and that what he what he did with that Monaghan team alone was, was staggering really like. amazing he mm. set the bar and, and like I even remember when he was he was principal only for a couple of years for myself in primary school and I had Porrick Duffy as a principal then in secondary school for a couple of years as well but you know with Sean I suppose it was one of those things you just didn't you didn't mess around with him mm. but uh, but a, a lovely man as well and loved loved the GA with all his heart and, and, and Scotstown GA particularly but uh, yeah sad day for, for Monon GA 9.05am on this Friday morning's OTBAM now check out the lunchtime wrap today bringing you all the latest sports news that's with thanks to Deliveroo check out the app for some great match day meal deals across the World Cup Deliveroo food we get it Here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio for you today. From a half past 11, the crappy quiz will be live. 
from 1 o'clock it's OTB Gold with Dennis Ogie Moran 3pm it's Fermanagh's Mount Rushmore at 4 o'clock the Team 33 uh, League of Ireland Legend interview with Mark Quigley 6pm OTB Gold Keith Andrews meeting Philly McMahon you can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the very best in the latest sports content up next we'll be live in studio to discuss the Movember campaign with Whitlow native Michael Burton who has just completed 32 half Ironmans in 32 counties not bad OTB AM. Eight minutes past nine on Friday morning's OTB AM, brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mow. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Speaking of magnificent mows, Michael Burton joins us in studio. Michael, how are you? Very good. How are you, lads? That's some effort. That moustache is. Uh, I was going to. I haven't properly committed to it yet this year. I was going to. It's probably cheating to shave it off now and leave the moustache, but you've actually had a proper effort. I actually grew this from last year. So I right. haven't. I started last year. And grew it the whole year with, with the mullet. So I did the mullet mustache combo. So <laughs> that one of these yeah. like pitches that you know has been recently relayed. This is like depth to it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. girthy, like girthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For anyone unfamiliar with your with your story, Michael, um, tell us what you've done because it was it was a hell of a way to start the show. But talking about his mustache. Sorry, you had I had <laughs> to. I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it the, is the mustache in the room. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, oh, that's that better again. Yeah, that's yeah, better again. Sorry, we uh, thirty-two. Ironman, half Ironmans in, in two half Ironmans so like yeah the 70.3 ones uh, in a row so I started on the 31st of August and I finished on the 1st of October lunatic was the country. word you used Johnny during the outbreak in a very endearing way in an, yeah lunatic in an endearing way like yeah. did, did you feel like a lunatic at any point during it or are you thinking why am I doing this um, oh there was a, yeah there was a day where I got four punctures in a row I was in Kilkenny and uh, my phone broke it was lashing rain, like torrential rain. And I started at eight in the morning. I don't think I finished till half eight in the evening. And my girlfriend had to drive down from Dublin with another phone for me because I couldn't even navigate to go to the next place. Like, And I was literally sat behind my car, like in a crowded car park, sat with a pack of donuts and a muju and just like, I want to go home. Like, Jesus. I just want this to be over. But People unfamiliar with the half hour. So what, what are the distances and disciplines in a, in a half hour? Yeah, so it's like a, it's a 1.9k swim, a 90k cycle, and then a half marathon. So 21k's. So how long, should, how long would that ordinarily take? Like, how long was it taking you on average? Um, somewhere in the region, like, probably like between six and a half and seven and a half hours, usually. But like, yeah, that was, I think the quickest one I did was like a 35 minute swim two and a half hour bike and then like a an hour 40 45 minute run I mean you're you're a cyclist keen cyclist Johnny that that's some decent decent times considering what what what's going on and your body's probably screaming at you how did yeah. you get four punctures in a day as well I thought that was oh, like that was man. a hell of an achievement oh, <laughs> don't even talk to me like <laughs> that, meant, that like <laughs> mentally that's just a killer like oh and the day before I got a puncture it was like in the middle of nowhere in Waterford I was like what am I doing yeah, <laughs> I couldn't believe it but anyway Look, well, so it was between was it day, between day four and seven you were, you were like you were having problems with your knee as well which, yeah. which didn't make it easy. Yeah. So between day four and seven, I made a big mistake in doing like going indoors in the gym and trying to do it on a watt bike. But like indoors, you just get super super sweaty, and like that just causes all sort of skin problems. So that was a big mistake. But my knee, my right knee, and my like was all like blown up I suppose um, and I couldn't like straighten my leg or anything so I was like hobbling around trying to get the run done for that time but then it kind of just went away but then my feet were just all cut up as well so. Like what percentage of it is 
mental and what percentage is physical in your point of view? Like, was it was it was it tough mentally, like really tough mentally, or or would you say it was more of a physical challenge? Um, well, I'd listened to a podcast with the Iron Cowboy guy, um, Rick Rolls did a podcast with him, and he's just said. No matter what was going on, your mom was like, this is great. So I just took that mindset into it. Like, no matter what was happening, I was like, this is great. Like, there were some days where I was like... <laughs> just keep swimming, like, yeah, find the dory, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, just keep going. Um, and just put one foot in front of the other. Um, but... There he is. There's a photo of yeah. you on screen as well. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was... I literally just came off the bike, like, two hours before that. The legs. <clears throat> so, like, I can only speak to from having done a very miniature triathlete where the distances were minuscule in comparison to what you've mm. done and it, it was one day as opposed to a multitude of days in a row your legs must have been jelly coming off the coming off the bike in a jocker yeah uh, you get used to it so like I didn't have a great lead up into it the month before because I'd done an Ironman and then I was kind of like a bit like injured or like just wasn't feeling great so I had to use like the first kind of 10 days as like kind of training for the rest of it and just was really really slow and steady Um but yeah, that picture, I'd literally fallen off the bike like two hours before, came off like 40 kilometres an hour, ripped how, up my hands. How, how did you have the crash, actually? We have a photo of your of your injuries up on screen there. That yeah, you're, uh, still smiling though, look at that. How are you still smiling after that? Uh, I mean, the burn off the road must have been horrific. Yeah, um, I I was with a friend and his wheel buckled and I was looking back trying to see what was going on. We were in a kind of like like behind, pretty much behind each other. And as I was looking back, I wasn't paying attention and I hit a big massive curb couldn't get my foot out of the cleat and just ended up hitting the ground oh jeez you obviously have the cleats that your your, your foot is stuck into yeah them. you probably use the same ones Johnny yeah like people who I suppose people who don't cycle normally wouldn't know the difference that they make but I'm I'm wondering what muscles are consistent with the three sort of disciplines or like you know what muscles were particularly either hard as hell afterwards or were struggling yeah so like my IT band so like mm. all up here from the cycling was just in bits well I remember going for a massage I think it was like day 15 or something your mum was like this is crazy like your legs are just seized up but it's do it keep going were you, like, were you losing weight gaining muscle like what happens to the body over I don't I think I might have lost a kilo wow. over the whole thing now that's probably that's probably good like you don't really want to be losing weight yeah you really don't want to what lose weight what were you weight. eating everything lots mm. of lots of moosey lots of carbs lots of you rice must have a, you must have a good appetite when you're when you get off the when you when you finish the thing oh, first of all like it took a while to be able to eat to be completely honest like right. I'm getting off like I wouldn't be one for eating and I had to stop taking gels as well so like usually you would take gels all the time but they just weren't not good for my stomach like they mm. were ripping me apart so I had to try at the beginning I was probably eating too much and then as it went on I was like kind of getting a grasp for what I could eat and when I could eat it and how that would work but yeah it's, it's amazing like uh, and you're, you're probably working out as you go along what, what food is doing to your body and, and yeah. you're trying to it probably takes a week or two into it before you realise right this is what I should be doing this is what I shouldn't be doing like yeah, yeah. you're learning what, what you're struggling with I guess yeah exactly yeah you kind of just yeah my girlfriend was a godsend so it was like me uh, two bikes a Ford Fiesta and her so fair play to her like <laughs> Well, we were talking about Rowan Nogari earlier, like going to going all around the world in pursuit of whatever that ultimate dream is. But yeah. like the woman and family behind that you don't see, like, yeah. it really is so important. Um, as my nana, my man, my nana calls her Saint Emily. Yeah, She's just, <laughs> this is great. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was similar with uh, when we had Damien Brown in the studio after he did his his oh yeah, this grow from yeah. New York to, to go and and like it's the same you think of the, the support team that's behind it yeah. now of course he's obviously doing the physical job of having to row across the North Atlantic yeah. but I mean without the team and, and the support 
it would be so difficult. Oh, she's yeah. suffering too, like yeah. <laughs> in yeah. another way. You know? I know. <laughs> I remember one day she did like some of the runs with me, and like the weekend, I think she might have done like a fifteen k, and then like a thirteen k. And on the Monday, she was like, "My legs are so sore." I was just looking at her, like, "Are you for real? Like, <laughs> your legs are sore. Like, yeah. this is day like twelve. Yeah. How do you think I feel? Um, so it's three charities uh, are benefiting from yeah. donations as well, uh, Michael. So the Irish Cancer Society. I know that's in memory of your your, your grandfather. Yeah. Uh, Jigsaw and Movember. So yeah. you were. Particularly, I suppose, wanting to highlight mental health, and that's yeah. why November, I suppose, came in. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I suppose I kind of talked about it previously on other ones, but like mental health, I think, is so important, especially in young men. Um, like three out of four suicides in Ireland are young men. It's the leading cause of death between fifteen and twenty-nine year olds. So, I think what November have been doing this month has been great. I've been going to some of their events. Um, they've got a couple of events coming up this weekend. I think they're in a tattoo parlor tomorrow. Then they're doing like a hair dye, hair shave thing on Sunday. I'm actually speaking at an event with Sean O'Hara next Wednesday in Indigo and Cloth. Um, that's at 7pm. So that's like a panel where we're going to talk about our kind of situations and how we felt and what that was like like for us, I suppose, to give people an idea of kind of what we have been through and like what we did and what we put into place for that. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's been really good. They have a comedy gig next week, so I think this month, especially for them, is is class. Um, and I'm trying to do as much as I can to kind of raise awareness for it. I think it takes a, a certain type of almost like madness to pursue what you're doing. But the road from, I guess, barely being able to inspire yourself mm. to actually inspiring others must be phenomenal. Yeah, it's been class. It has been class. It's been yeah, it's been class. Like even getting to come on here, I suppose the more I get again. To- Again, yeah, we have to bring you on after. To be fair, I mean, yeah, yeah. Beforehand, you hadn't even done it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it mustache or no mustache? Mustache or no? Well, I had the mustache then too. <laughs> but uh, no, it's great. Like getting to do this thing, I'm becoming more comfortable with it. Like I, I did a few talks last week for businesses during like Men's Mental Health Week and on International Men's Day and stuff like that. And the more I tell my story and the more I even go into the nitty gritty of it the better it actually is for me. even Heretic, though like, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think the more you kind of reveal yourself in those situations, the more people get out of it. Well, I actually got that definitely from last week. Like I did a talk with Salesforce and like even the messages that I got from people requesting to like connect with me on LinkedIn was like, thank you so much for that. Like I, re- and I suppose even for me, like people saying thank you to me for that is, is so great. Like, do you know what I mean? And going into schools as well. So trying to, get young because I know from when I was 14 to when I left school I think when when young lads when young men especially leave school they lose their schedule and their routine and that's so important and I only realised that even during the challenge when I was actually talking to after the challenge I mean I was talking to a friend of mine uh, his mum who's a, like a therapist and she was saying this is the biggest cause that I see is that young men lose their routine and that's where they're able to cope until that point and then once they lose the routine that's it like. I, I felt like I, I felt that the, you weren't prepared at all for that and it was even the shock of like going to college yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden you're half on your own here now and yeah. that structure is gone and it's like all that kind of um, my teacher always said to me these are the happiest days of your life remember that and of course he was right at the time you're thinking like well I don't want to get up for the next class Yeah, but that, that puts you, pressure on it too doesn't it when you're being told that these, these should be the happiest days of your life and some, some people don't feel yeah. That, that way, and it's yeah. when you then when you leave that structure of school and that camaraderie, 
And uh, I think in rural Ireland, this is a real thing. If you go out into a job, you get up in the morning, you're working with older people, you've lost your friends to an extent. I think there's a shock factor that can really literally kill people. Yeah, I, for me, I was able to cope from 14 to 18 because the bell went at 11 and I ate. I got up and I went to school and the bell went at one and I had lunch and the bell went at whatever and I went to study or I, I played sport or I went to the gym, whatever it was. The minute that went, that's where everything really started to crumble. Like, mm. that's where it went, went, got so dark. Um, it's only in retrospect and I didn't even cop that until a couple of, like, literally a couple of months ago. So, mm. yeah, it's crazy. So, those, so people who may be unfamiliar with your talks or haven't attended one yet, like that, that's a, a key point in them is your, your, your college experience and your own mental health yeah. struggles, I guess, during that time and, yeah, exactly, and having yeah. a lack of motivation to, to yeah. get through it. Well, I le- completely let myself go. Like I played played like sport up until I was 17 and after that um, I went to the gym up until I kind of finished school. And literally once I finished school and went on my six-year holiday, that was, I don't think I played sport again. For till I was like twenty three, mm. like I tried to play a bit of rugby here and there, but nothing at all. Yeah. Like I was huge, I was ballooned up. Like, how important was has sport been in in helping you bounce back? I mean, and and uh, sport. If you want even, to call it sport, well, <laughs> no, but <laughs> not even in the the, the team sense. Just yeah. what you're doing and endurance. Yeah, yeah. Endurance is 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 the toughest sport discipline of all, no doubt. Yeah. Well, like I suppose at the beginning of the pandemic, living in London with three other three other lads like just running and it was just the, it was actually the competitiveness of trying to beat each other's time now we weren't going very fast like it was 26 <laughs> minute 5k is like geez like that's pretty slow now for me but at that time it was just getting up and like th- that little change of that kind of being competitive even with your mates or whatever it was cha- like change it and then it was just a snowball effect from there just complete snowball effect until I realised that sport was just an outlet. It wasn't actually fixing anything. So then I was like, all right, I've got so far. I've lost a lot of weight. I'm fit. I'm healthy. Now, actually, let's deal with the real problems. Mm. Unbelievable. Listen, Michael, your, your, your story's inspiring. You, you've other talks coming up, you said? Yeah, so Indico and Cloth next week with Sean O'Hara on Wednesday. And then I'm doing things with schools over the next while before I move away. So that's the plan. And then getting ready for the next challenge. So Brilliant. Oh, you, what's the next challenge again you're, you're talking about? Yeah, so the next... <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you are mad. Yeah. Um, the next challenge is a 4,500 kilometre run over 45 days. So 100... Lost kilo- me at the next challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you lost me at the maths. So divide that. That's 100 100 kilometres a, a day. So I'm going to go Dublin down around the coast to Galway. Galway across to Dublin. Dublin up around the coast to Galway. Galway back to Dublin. This is, sorry, not even cycling, this is running. This is running, yeah, because running was the hardest bit of the challenge. Sorry, some people would set themselves a target of running 100 kilometres in 45 days and do a 4.5k a day, but you're doing 100 kilometres per day for 45 days. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's mad. I mean, I, brilliant. I, it's brilliant. Like, yeah. It, th- that's uh, on a level of toughness compared to the, the one you're after doing. Like, how does it. I don't know. I I don't know. Well, I know that it's going to be worse. Running, running was the hardest bit. That's why I'm doing running. I was going to do. I was going to do a cycle around Ireland. So I was going to start in Malin, cycle around, finish in Malin, and then run the length. 
like a massive brick session. But then I was like, ah, it's a bit too easy, so I'll just do the one. Too easy, yeah. Where's St. Emily going to be in all this? I mean, uh, think of her. <laughs> think down the road with yeah. the Ford Fiesta. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Ford Fiesta will be gone by that stage, yeah. hopefully. Well, listen, I, I have a Forest Gun pad at the house. I can I can give it to you to borrow if you want for the, 100%. For the one as well. Give it to me, yeah. Brilliant. Listen, Michael, thanks a million for coming in. and Thank you very much. Continuing to share the story. Thank uh, you. No doubt when you have, we have you back in, the moustache will be at another level. Again, it's, it's very impressive, I have to say. So, fair play for coming in. Uh, it is 9.24am on this uh, Friday morning's OTP AM, brought to you with Gillette, in association with Movember. Effort to shave. Magnificent Mo, you can sign up or donate uh, now at Movember.com. OTP AM, back Monday morning with Jeremy myself in studio. Uh, Gavin Cooney of the 42.e, he's over in Qatar. He'll be live on the line with the latest from the World Cup across the weekend. Plenty of games. Spain, Germany on Sunday. Should be a cracker. Uh, we'll have the Gillette Labs performance rankings reacting to the weekend's World Cup, rugby and much more besides. To have an interview with Evan Ferguson, to bring you now just a quick mention of this uh, the FBI kind of handed me this yesterday and I was like I'll definitely give this a plug it's a brilliant initiative uh, with Monaghan County Libraries my own county so Amanda McCarville and Deirdre McQuaid from Monaghan County Council have developed this and it's being distributed to school children in Monaghan so it's aligning to the National Right to Read programme this is uh, to promote literacy and reading development for, for people of all ages and backgrounds uh, launched by the Irish Senior Men's football team as well so it's an activity book but it's made to assist teachers in the classroom uh, and for, for parents as well and guardians at home so You've got every subject, English, maths, geography, history, uh, Irish, all delivered via the game of football. So you've got all the flags and World Cup uh, stuff in there. So it's cross-curricular nature of the book. So the aim is for all fifth and sixth class pupils in uh, the 61 primary schools in Monaghan to receive a hard copy of this book, while also catering for first years and post-primary as well as part of the uh, Junior Cert SP Literacy literacy Programme. So really good initiative. Game on is the name of the book. So uh, you can look it up and find more details about that but as I said I had a chat yesterday uh, with uh, Evan Ferguson the young Brighton and a public of Ireland international striker of course made his debut for the senior team last week against Norway and hopefully the first of many caps for him uh, so we'll leave you with that chat enjoy have a great weekend OTB AM Alright well uh, I'm here in, in School Kieran in, uh, in Glasnevin in Dublin and delighted to be joined by the Brighton and now Republic of Ireland senior striker Evan Ferguson Evan how are you? Yeah all good thanks Keeping well? Yeah keep we're, well. So we're here I've got, a, I've got one of the uh, booklets in front of me so Futsal in the Yard really really good initiative where the FEI have been getting young kids uh, disadvantaged kids kids with um, uh, special needs as well to, to play football and to, to more importantly keep involved with football so you've been meeting some of the kids yeah, this morning Evan having the fun with them came in today and see it now it's very good very good what they do for the kids now it's for them to come in and play football it's, I think football's for everyone you know what I mean so sort of a very good thing for the FAO to do Can you remember when you were around that age like I'm, I'm seeing watching through the window there earlier and kids of 10, 11, 12 and when you were around that age were you, did you ever think that you'd be playing at some point Premier League Republic of Ireland senior team was it, was it ever even in your head at that I, point I think when you're that young you just want to play football you know what I mean like when you're with your mates you just want to play football and you're not thinking oh Premier League this and that I think that comes a bit later you know what I mean because at that age you just want to have fun what was that like last week uh, so last Thursday night around about half past nine 89th minute uh, in, in that match against Norway uh, and I know I was chatting to your dad Barry um, you know, to come off the bench at the Viva Stadium and make your, your first cap for the Republic of Ireland senior team, that must have been must have been quite a moment. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to take in at that moment in time, you know what I mean? Because you're trying to you're trying to concentrate, you know what I mean? Even though like you're going there your whole life watching games and that, but you're just trying to concentrate and do a job. But I think looking back on it, it's 
going there in front of your family and your friends and everyone that goes to the games it's it's unbelievable feeling yeah are you aware like I was talking to your dad Barry earlier and a lot of people be familiar with Barry's career he played over in England and for uh, League of Ireland as well but he was saying he was watching he was he was almost not watching the match he was watching the subs bench and trying to see were you warming up and were you close to coming on like were you aware of where your family were sitting and you're aware of of what's going no, on I hadn't a clue no because I was taking my family in that before the game but I didn't have a clue where they were sitting to be honest so I couldn't go up and wave at them around so Oh. Your dad, uh, Barry, so like I know he does a lot of work with the FAI as well in development, and he was a centre half. So what, what was it like? like? Was it the type of thing that you, you moulded into a striker because he's, he's given you tips when you're younger as to, to how to, to cope with, with good centre halves or vice versa? Like, how did that all come Yeah, about? I don't know. I think I just, just like scoring goals. You know what I mean? I think that was my thing. I just like scoring and just different types of finishes. But if I ever needed that from him, it's obviously easier to get a voice because he's a centre-back. He'd know what it's like playing against different types of strikers and different types of centre-backs. So it's good to have him there if I ever do need that. Like when you're looking at other people for advice, I guess the senior players in, in Stephen Kenny's squad are, are quite important. Like what's it been like you know, with the likes of Seamus Coleman and, and Shane Duffy and James McLean? Have they been very forthcoming in terms of you know arm around the shoulder giving you little, little bits of advice as to yeah, you know when all, they came into the squad first as well. Yeah, they're all they're all at top now. To be fair, like going into the squad, everyone's welcoming in that. So I obviously knew Duffy from before. He wasn't in the last squad, but like even at Brighton, he was very good with me. And going into the squad, the likes of Seamus and James and that they have they were very good with me. Now it makes it uh, an easier easier experience. When we look at the, the Euro 2024 qualifier draw, it wasn't the easiest draw we, we could have got, France and, and, and the Netherlands. Uh, like, I suppose the expectation now that you've made your debut is, is that you'll push on and be involved with, with that, that squad, hopefully. Uh, like, when, you're, when you see the draw, are you, are you like, Jesus, that could have gone better? Or are you thinking, what a chance to, to impress against some of the best defenders in the world you've got the likes of Van Dijk with the Dutch and Varane with, with the French team it's, it's, it's not a bad challenge to have yeah, I think playing against them teams I think as the Irish we always try fancy ourselves like we, we go in there as the underdogs every time you know what I mean so we always try fancy ourselves and give it the best go and I don't think we really care against who we play against you know what I mean so whoever we have to play against we're going to try win and I think under the gaffer now, Stephen, I think we have a chance, you know what I mean? So what's, what's Stephen been like to work with? Because like, we know he's, he's a manager that has nurtured young talent and, and likes to bring young talent into the squad and, and certainly has, has developed young players and brought them in. Um, and uh, look, he's, he's, he's taken the brunt of a lot of pressure when results don't go well. Undoubtedly, questions come up. But you know, all the focus now, I guess, is in Euro 2024. But what's the experience been like with, with Stephen from, from your point of view? Yeah, he's been very good now. He has been very good. He has a style of play, and I think everyone's on the same wavelength as what they need to do. So it's obviously going out, there's no mixed signals going onto the pitch, so that makes it a lot easier. But I think it's good for the young players, like the likes of me and stuff, that want to come and break through, that he does give you the opportunity. So I think that'll it'll benefit the country if he's going to try and bring the young players in and I think yeah benefit everyone you've had a you've had a fairly big month because even last month turning 18 getting your first professional contract with Brighton like that must be a that must be a special moment to, to, to finally get the I guess the pen and the paper and, and confirm you're staying until 2026 with Brighton yeah it's, I think it's everyone's sort of dream really is knowing that they're they're going to be playing football for the next four years you know what I mean but to do and they've I think that they welcome me really well like I've been over there now sort of two years or whatever and I'm glad to stay there for another four you know what I mean so just 
want to wait and see what happens now. Some people will be familiar with the, the fact that you had you had Liverpool after your services as well when you were uh, leaving Bowes, but was that a, was that a tough choice to make? Like I've heard you talk before about the fact that you know some young lads go off to a big team like Liverpool and maybe get lost in the system, whereas Brighton you probably felt fairly welcomed when you went over there and, and tried with them. Was it was it a tough decision between Brighton and Liverpool? Yeah, I think it was sort of my thinking really. Like I've obviously went over and tried with the two clubs and. Liverpool, you could just tell like it was a lot different because you could tell that like they could come in and just buy like an 80 million striker, which they have now with Nunes. So, but when I went over to Brighton, it was it was different. Like they had a lot of Irish lads, and they they were successful as well over the Irish lads. So I thought there's a pathway here, you know what I mean? And it's lucky now looking back on it, I think it was the right choice. When you look at that Brighton forward line, like the likes of. Danny Welbeck, I guess, is someone like. Is it a case of staying late after training, doing shooting drills with the likes of Danny and these lads, or, or how do you how do you manage that? I suppose you're picking up plenty of of tips from those lads as well at club level. Yeah, he's the top lad as well. He's really looked after me, but I just in training every day. Like you see the little bits, you learn bits from everyone. You know what I mean? Because I've been doing it for years, but just going in every day, doing what you need to do, doing a few extras and that. So. That's what you need to do. What's the transition been like? I know Graham Potter was a, was a big fan of yours. Now he's he's, he's off to Chelsea, um, and Roberto De Zerbi has come in and, and listen, got off to a, a brilliant start with, with Brighton. But what's what's that been like transition wise? Because I, I suppose for a young player, it's 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 an interesting moment when a new manager comes in and you're wondering, you know, am I going to get opportunities here or what? What's the story? Yeah, I think at, at the start, like you, it's you just have to be patient. You know what I mean? Because the old manager, he knew what you were like and he knew what you could do and. But with this, you just have to sort of start from fresh again, you know what I mean? So you still have to go and prove yourself again, and hopefully I can do that and try to get into the squad, into the team. Is it? Of course, there's the rumours of potential loan move in January, and with with young players, I guess that's the you know it's an option to get plenty of first team football. Like, is that something that you've had discussions with already? I know there's no doubt a host of clubs lining up. You'd probably have options if you decided to go down that route. But is that something that you're thinking about for January, or, or had talks about yet? I think that's what the loan's for. You know what I mean? To give players in sort of this kind of situation things to do, like games to play, but. I need to go back now and we'll have a chat about it but I'm not sure like I haven't had any chat about it yet you know what I mean so because the break and stuff I'll go back and see what they have to say like are you getting a chance to watch watch the World Cup at the moment are you getting like is it is it I guess at the stage now where once the international games are over you get the chance to relax play a bit of golf or whatever it is with your mates and, and chill out do you get time to just sit down and yeah, enjoy it I've like a week off now so I've just been out relaxing as playing golf yesterday it's not the greatest weather for it but <laughs> just yeah time to relax and see friends and family you know what I mean so yeah. are you any good at golf? I'd say I'm alright what are you <laughs> playing off? I don't have a handicap for it and I just play the yeah, day, yeah. you know what I mean but I'm, I'm alright like I can hit the ball it's a stress reliever in some ways yeah uh, you've been great with your time Evan um, I suppose when I'm, when I'm talking about the World Cup and I'm thinking of, of players, unfortunately Erling Haaland wasn't, wasn't there to yeah. come up against last Thursday, but like when you're sitting there watching the World Cup and you're seeing players like you know, Mbappe and, and Giroud and these lads doing the business, and even players gone past, are there, are there strikers that you've kind of moulded your, your, your game on and, and you like to think you're, you're, you're alike in some ways, or is it just a case of, no, my own player? I think it's, you, you just want to be your own player, but it's sort of a mix, like you... You look at different players, like you look at Harry Kane, Lewandowski, Allens, you look at all them players and you just try to get different bits from what they've done and what they can do and try to bring it into your own game. 
I'm sure you're, you're used to playing against big players, wasn't it? 14 years of age you were playing against Chelsea, yeah. Frank Lampard's first game in charge. Yeah, it was. For you, like, do you remember that moment and, and what it what, like? Did you feel like you were maybe, you, you were obviously ready because the manager felt you were ready, but 14 was, was quite an experience for you, I'd imagine. Yeah, it was. It was weird because like, I remember it was during the summer, so I came back into school after the summer and that's what people are talking about, you know what I mean? It was different at the time, but I think now you see more young players are coming through and playing, you know what I mean? So it's not as weird now, but at the time it was, to me, it, it wasn't really anything, you know what I mean? But you're seeing all the things that people are saying on Twitter and Google or whatever, but it didn't really bother me. You don't pay much attention to the social media nah, hype or... It's not really don't really care to be honest ignore it ignore yeah. it uh, listen Evan great stuff uh, congrats on the on the, on the cap Cheers. last week and uh, uh, first of many hopefully, hopefully, hopefully and the hopefully goals will come see. now in the Euro yeah. 2024 qualifiers Evan Ferguson thanks many OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember Everglass Shave Magnificent Moves